Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the Adept Initiative is the place to go. The Adept Initiative is the flagship course on magic.me, and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You are really going to dig it. Go check it out, and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. Israel-Palestine. Israel-Palestine? I gave a tweet about it. I don't know. I don't want to... People can say it's simple. Nothing's simple in this world. Everything's connected. Yeah. But all I had to say in my tweet was, I beg of you, every single soldier who can, you take some dirt and you put it in your weapon and you disable your weapon and you walk home. Okay? Your parents miss you. Your family misses you. Just stop. It's In the end, it, it comes down to the person that's there doing it. You're like the individuals in the end. It's not this government, that government. You just say, fuck you, government. You know, I'm not going to fucking Vietnam or whatever. I'm not. I'm just not. I'm just not. Fuck you. If you kill me now, at least I die for peace. You know, I don't know. It's a good point. That's where I am with it. It's just, it's too horrifying. I actually like that a lot because that's something we've talked about the Bhagavad Gita before. That's like when, you know, I know we've talked about this where Krishna is to Arjuna, like, what's the big deal? You're going to die in bed anyways. Like go, go to war, go fight. It's your duty. But like what you just said is like, well, it fulfills all the same criteria, but you basically go and die for peace. Now this is easy to say on a podcast, but you know, it's an interesting idea. Well, I think it just, we need a lot more conscientious objection. It's fucked up. My dad was a Come conscientious. On. My dad was a conscientious objector in the Vietnam War. He did it the legal way. He didn't draft dodge. They did selective service and sent him to work with the poor or something like that in California. So it's possible. You know, I don't know about it in Israel. I don't think it's possible in Israel. <laughs> but uh, no, wait. I mean, no. But that's the thing. I mean, in the way, in the end, it just has to come down to like, no, no. Yeah. Like no, actually, it's like actually. Putin, drive me, drive me to the border. <laughs> then I'll dismantle my gun and I put my hands up and I can uh, maybe I'll make my way over to Germany or something. Right. Yeah. Well, you I know, think, just I think like, fuck, just leave these hell holes that are fucking you up. The problem is, and that's it's like now we're getting into the Palestine thing. It's like, I just like, I, I feel for Palestinians because they've been used, in my opinion. They've just been used yeah. ever since. Point. Ever since the English, ever since the British, yeah, since the British, everybody and and the Turks, Ottoman Turks, they're they're just trying to hang on. I mean, like God, Jesus, it's like 
people are tearing down, you know, signs of Jewish people. It's like, I'm sorry. It's like, you know, like the the Arabs that were associated with that area actually were aligned with the Nazis before. So, like, let's just... Were they, is, has that been proven? Because I know that Netanyahu was doing kind of Hasbro propaganda. He actually got into a lot of trouble for it in Israel, saying that like, Hitler, no. Hitler wasn't going to was, kill the Jews. It was the Palestinians convinced him to do it, which is just really silly. No, I don't know about that. Okay. But I think it was just like who people aligned with. It's like, you know, if you were in that region, it was sort of really wasn't your war. It was be, it's like people are coming into your territory and giving you ultimatums and shit, you know, like, so it's like, well, do we join the Nazis or do we join the British? The British are down there with dealing with those people in like they were the Egypt. Wait, area. Palestine, so, I don't know about, I don't know this history. So Palestine, there was like some Nazi connection during the war or something. We were working with Germans. Before, well, they, there was no Palestine yet, right? Like this, okay. it wasn't such a, I mean, it was British Palestine, yeah. but that included Lebanon and all this area. Like it was a completely different piece of land. And then as usual, I think, I mean, my opinion is everyone should blame the British. <laughs> the British, no, the British set up these fucking. That's situations. who you know. That's who Izan blames for it. Izan's like, Just this is all, like the, all, all the all the British. Africa, every yeah. single country. It's like the thing was balance of power or some shit like that. But instead, yeah. they cut across all kinds of naturally existing territorial boundaries, pre-existing ones. So now you've got all these people. It's like so-and-so gets balance of power, but the 40% get shot on or whatever, instead of just saying like, no, that's the, that's the country of the Igbo and that's the Ashanti territory. And everybody pretty much knows. And right. some, <laughs> which is what would not, you know, didn't happen. That's a, yeah. British I, are psycho. They fucked everything yeah, up. Yeah. Well, the, the legacy of imperialism is so, oh God. you know, what? like the British empire, I think is responsible for something like 19 million deaths. Most oh, of yeah. which were like I mean, induced famine in Bengal and like the Mau Mau uprising. And most of the files are still sealed from that. We don't know what the British empire did because the files were all destroyed when the empire fell apart. So we don't know who they tortured. They invented concentration camps, by the way, people forgot that. I think in South Africa, somewhere in, for the Boers the British invented the concentration camp and they, and the Americans, you know, Americans started eugenics and all this crazy uh, racist, you know, fake pseudoscience eugenics and all that. And the Nazis took it from, so it's kind of like one of these things where yes, the Nazis are one of like the worst, possibly the worst moment of world history. No, but no, but no. like they you said, a, everything's connected. Like, let's be, you know, it's yeah, like, let's not exactly, just say, exactly. it's kind of like the US. It's like everything bad that's ever happened, including all the way back to the 18th century is Donald Trump's fault. So it's like, <laughs> no, no, no. The stuff that Donald Trump has done while he was in office is definitely his fault. But just that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. No. I still find the, I find his uncle seizing Tesla's materials to be fascinating is that real tell tell that story I, I, i'm i i've never found any other citation any place about the series of events i just saw a meme about that it was like what like fred trump stole tesla's technology what it was no, it wasn't story? that he, it's not his dad it was like his uncle okay it was in the nsa or something like back in the day very early although you have to and admit when, like my uncle and when my Tesla uncle died is, because he lived on American soil and Tesla had no relatives or something like that. Like, so they just were like, well, and they went into his apartment and just did, they, everything. did they own the hotel where he died or something? 
Oh, they probably, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. He, they it was, probably would have owned some of the apartments uh, in that building. Uh, interesting. I on the guy. Yeah, he died the in the whole thing. There, the place uh, was called the New Yorker Hotel that he died in. It's weird because I, yeah, 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 I was just reading other, about this last night. The other guy, the Theremin guy. Theremin as well, who was from the same time period, basically. Like he got ended up getting recruited. He was, I guess, a little later, but he ended up getting smuggled back to Russia, as I recall. Who did? Tatheremin. I'm gonna. He was another scientist. You know, he invented the capacitance detection system that they use for the musical instrument, the theremin. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm asking AI about this. This is like the uh, since I this is the budget version of pull it up, Jamie. I just asked GPT. Okay, wait. So, so did uh, let's see. Give me the list list of all people of all people or organizations that have owned the New Yorker Hotel where Tesla died. All right, pull pull it up, GPT. It's browsing. Okay, well AI is working. That actually kind of weirdly makes sense, though. That's odd. Okay, let's see. Yeah. The original ownership. I mean, so much. I, I've been so up on the UFO thing lately because it's just like so. So it's like I think I have to throw away my whole octopus thing, which I really am sad about. What? What's the octopus thing? Well, that was my that was my theory like two years ago on aliens was that they were hyper advanced cephalopods. And that's why they could look like all kinds of things because they could just morph their face because they're octopi. So they're just really advanced octopus. So they could look like anything they want, basically. Okay. And they're really smart. They're tool users. You saw like five years ago, there was like a paper that came out saying that octopuses were aliens. They have a completely different, like they're, they have like, what is it? That's like an internal transgenics ability so they can like literally move around chunks of their dna and like what? restructure that is it's so, insane we need to like figure out how to, like imagine figuring out how to do that for people i'm sure jen mentioned this at some point it's like yeah like what if we could like you know like get that ability now you think yeah that would be fun <laughs> right yeah <laughs> that'd be great your body is whatever want it to be okay check this out so here here's what ai said i was able to find a speculative connection between the trump family and the new yorker hotel relating to nikola tesla who died in the hotel and donald trump's uncle john g trump who reviewed tesla's paper after his death however this connection does not pertain to the ownership of the hotel or business relationships between the whole hotel's owner and the trump family therefore there isn't any concrete information to suggest that the trump family had connections with the individuals okay so did okay but that was trump, only trump that's, the that's, government of the nsa cia could have owned the building yeah and that we could not prove it was supposedly no, and, that, and it, that then they do that through some shell organization because the whole thing's done like in the yeah. Washington, through pyramid you know Acme Corporation or whatever thing. So, so it was originally built in 1929 by Matt Canner and was operated by somebody named Ralph Hitz until his death in 1940, at which point Frank, Frank L. Andrews took over the operation. So, so somebody, the owner died three years before Tesla and it was given to a new person. So let's see who this was. Who was Frank L. Andrews? By the way, <laughs> okay, here's the issue with AI. The, the, the website that it cited for that information about John D. Trump that is the Unification Church Community blog. And the first thing on this is the Tesla Trump Moon Connection, New Yorker Hotel. And it's, it's just... Oh, wait, I didn't know the moon connection. Oh, so, uh, Re Reverend Sun Myung Moon. What? 
Okay, this is what this crazy conspiracy site says. If you didn't know, the New Yorker Hotel is related to Tesla and has planned to save the world from greedy monopolies. Tesla commissioned the construction of the New Yorker Hotel. What? Tesla did his last 10 years of experiments there. The electricity generator is still working in the basement. Allegedly... I heard about that. I heard he installed a, like a monster generator. Wow. Lucky them. Allegedly, Tesla and John G. Trump were involved in the design of the hotel. What we do know for sure is that the hotel was Tesla's secret tower experiment. He didn't die in the hotel room. He was working in the basement. Um, 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 um. Okay, but then they go into Nikola Tesla's ancestors, or excuse me, you should also get aware of, sick, you should also get aware of Trump's ancestors' work with Reverend Sun Young Moon in the spirit world. Okay, an article discarded. Okay, <laughs> Opinion discarded. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. So <laughs> we're, we're fully mired in the information, like, avalanche. That's really scary, actually. GPT-4 is pulling information from, like, like weird cult blogs. So, like, yeah, you double-check your AI info. Jeez. Yeah, no, a great use that I heard for the AI, and I haven't heard about what's come out of this or for that kind of thing, was, you know, the Black Vault? Which one? It was in blackvault.org or com, the green... It's this guy, he's got all these UFO papers and FOI, like Freedom of Information Act releases. And like a lot of UFOs, but other stuff. And... Kurt Jaimurgle, Mungle, who's a theories of everything. He does the science podcast. He's another Canadian. And he was interviewing him, but it was like, oh, we should get a machine to go through all these papers because a lot of them are, but it's, this is like Majestic 12 type stuff. I mean, there's all kinds of okay. Freedom of Information Act that's stuff that's come. But oh, so they just, they fed it, it into AI. Exactly, because oh, a lot of it was typed out at period, and oh, it's perfect. like by these hacks, and it's like that, really that is an awesome to, use for AI. You know, to just analyze that and also make it into a searchable database. So all you have to do is type Andrews Air Force Base, and every single citation for it, it's like it's what HTML was actually initially designed for, right? It's like what we're having I mean? to redo that because the initial idea was the hypertext thing. It's like it's like every word would be a link to an idea or a phrase or something, you know, like it's got its citations all built into itself all over the place. Yeah, by the way, I was so reading last night that apparently that was part of the original plans. Like, I think people were coming up with plans for personal computers in Silicon Valley in the 70s. And nobody, everyone thought it would never happen. And it was just this total like crazy moonshot idea. But part of the original plans for a personal computer was was a hypertext before the web was even created. So... Yeah. Well, you can see that it's a, like a way of self-organizing, sort of like relating ideas that we're now sort of running all this information through machines again so that they encompass it all and build that structure also for the connectedness. Do you know what K means clustering is? Hmm? Do you know what K means clustering is? No, if it has to do with statistics, I ignore it. <laughs> it does. It's super interesting. It's super interesting, though. It's kind of like one Your of the... Most... T-test. I was like, okay, I'm done. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, like the Voight-Kampf test? test? Yeah. This is how I know you're not a replicant. And I might be a replicant because I do know what gay means. It's like, yeah, you, you just never know. We could both be replicants. We might not actually be the same people who, are, who met in New York. We might just be... We might have both been replaced. That's true. By control. You just never it's know. True. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> for some people, don't. that would explain a lot for some people. Um, but all you can believe is whatever you believe. So that's true. So k-means clustering is it's you, you feed a, a a a metric ton of data into a computer, and then you just tell it to look for patterns. And what it will do is it will find clusters of information. So for instance, it'll like you feed it like a classic example would be like you feed it 200,000 credit card transactions and then it'll come back with something like or fraudulent credit card transactions and then it will come back this is actually people do it use it for this and then it'll come back with after it runs something like well there's this one cluster of credit card transactions that were all made from the same you know in the same area around the same time or they were all made with this one like you know you don't have to predetermine the uh no parameter uh-uh. you, you just give it like four or five sets of data to look through or so for, basically it can't so just imagine a spreadsheet with a hundred thousand yeah, yeah, rows yeah. And like, four columns. Like, like one of these lee group things associations just from the available data it's like this was the time whatever the data is and just looks for closest matches it just yeah okay. so the cool thing about it is it's unsupervised learning so it just looks for patterns without you pre-biasing it telling it what to look for you just say look for look for patterns and it finds them and then so that would be really interesting to do with all that alien stuff it would it would yeah i mean i think the whole issue i don't know i mean at this point it's like well the government's essentially said that something whack exists and we don't really want to say what it is because we can't i mean my thing my take is of course the darkest and is totally like okay a They've had giant flying platforms in the sky, the U.S., since probably 19, late 60s, because Alexander de Seversky, who was highly rated general, I think I mentioned this on a previous program, but he was a highly rated general, and he pioneered ionocraft, like ionic drives, way early. And what, what he is was that? like what saying is that? back then. What's an ionic drive? You know, where you have like high voltage differentials across... You may usually you have a wire and then some area and it creates a flow of air from one charge to the other charge. Okay. And there's a weird trick about leveraging voltages that like the there's an innate voltage to the world of about a hundred volts per meter. It's the voltage differential between the sky and like the ionosphere and the earth. And the clouds build that up in the in the water, and then you get lightning bolts because they've built up a bunch of charge. Usually it's so dispersed that it can't build up any place in a localized area. But then you've got a thunderstorm, and now you've got all this charge in one place. So anyways, and then you get lightning bolts. But his thing was, well, if you get 100 volts per meter, so at 100 meters, if we build something 100 meters tall, we get 10,000 free volts of differential if we build something a kilometer tall, which sounds absurd, but now you have 100,000 volts, free differential between the top and the bottom. Mm. So now you just put a capacitor in between to block the charge from being able to flow. And you've got one side of your object has a, whatever it was, 100,000 volt difference than the other. And then you leverage that to make your craft fly. And he had... Wow. You know, he had thumbnailed this out and he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we could build something about the size of an aircraft carrier floating in the sky and we can launch airplanes off of it. <laughs> and wow. he talks about this and this is like 1958, yeah. maybe something like that. 
late fifties. Well, maybe now we years. now we know for sure. I, mean, I immediately thought of stealth bombers and like they they we know now for sure they do have technology to camouflage planes in the sky like you know like they're over 29 palms you know it's like they'll be oh yeah 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 no they've had that for like almost 10 years now they started it with that they've said that they've said so like 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 an invisible like an invisible so you're saying there could be like an invisible ufo aircraft carrier i mean yeah there could that's what what i suspect all the large triangles are well, if you, they, they seem very mechanical and therefore human, all the ones that are totally mind blowing instead, it's like weird globs, like one that I saw that looked like a bunch of mercury floating in the air, only it was like dripping liquid metal at the bottom. And then it had two friends hanging around it too. But then, and you know, or flashing lights that just seem now, cause I, yeah, anybody that cites the U.S. government, it's like, no, I'm sorry. It's like <laughs> UAPs go back a long time. Since there's been a printing press, occasionally somebody says, we had this crazy shit oh, really? to us the other day. Well, so meaning it's been happening forever. Or did they write it no, down before the press? No, but it's been happening for centuries. Yeah. It certainly is not. There's no way of ascribing UAPs to any tech, human technological development. That's just absurd. Or it would have to be Lemurians who had it before and are hiding out for some obscure reason, which doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) To me, the logical thing is it's a big universe. Some people, someplace, maybe a few people, various places, found some insane trick for getting places really fast, however they do it. It's vaguely possible in a model I have that there's essentially three phases to the universe. Okay. Play along with me for a sec. Mm-hmm. So an electron is just all one phase here. And a neutrino has three different, like there's the electric field, the electrical field, essentially like, like one of there's a pure charge field. I, w- I, I wish charge in the lot. Just to jump in real quick. the charge in a line. I wish people who were, I wish people who are hearing this could see it because Kali is holding up a model of this actually. So so it's like what, uh, six yellow balls on, it's it's like an XYZ, it's like an XYZ axes with with yellow balls at the end. It's the, it's a Cartesian construction, but I'm going to do, I'll build this in front of you and you can describe, I've got some W video. Okay. But Quarks come in fractional charges. It's a weird thing about hmm. quarks. You get, you need three fractional charges to complete something. So this got like two fractional charges. Now, usually they're not shown as axes in any diagram you will ever see. But if you just play along and say, okay, well, this is a fractional charge. This is a fractional charge. We need three of them. So now we have three fractional charges, three axes of charge. All of a sudden, hey, doesn't that look like this annoying sort of like Cartesian universe that we live in? Why are there three dimensions? Maybe it's just because of this. Like there's three angles that things can push against each other. Explain this more. So so what what, what you're holding up. So what I'm seeing right now is you're holding up three sticks that you've arranged in XYZ axes and they're short. They're about the size of matchsticks. And at the end of each, so just imagine three max matchsticks, one going vertical, one horizontal, and the third depth. And then at the end of each of these matchsticks is a blue ball about the size of a grape. So, yeah, the so, blue balls just rep- are represent in my 
picked model right now. Well, we'll call it positive charge now, actually. Okay, so so you're what you're using this to demonstrate quarks, fractional charges on quarks. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you want to make a proton. So actually, a proton takes two up quarks. An up quark has two two positive charges. Okay. And another up quark has two more positive charges. So you're holding two, basically two x x y axes. So yeah, exactly. Four, there's four so grapes on each. Sort of vertical and horizontal. Yeah, exactly. I'm probably not. So I'm, just, I'm probably not describing this very well. I should just. I should just let you roll with your uh, your theory. Yeah. So just imagine instead that they're it's axes. So there's four of them. So now you take them and you go like, okay, so and wait, and there's a there's a down, two, two ups, one down. But so we got four blue and one yellow. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to combine the yellow and the blue and make a green one. I'm just reminding you that, that no one is going to be able to see what you're doing with your hands. I know, They're I know. Just, yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> but what we just did is took a, a fractional positive charge and a fractional negative charge and turned it into a little tiny photon that is trapped over its own orbit. I assure you this is super cool what I'm seeing. <laughs> and this is a Higgs. This would we would call the Higgs. Okay. And that's the mass. This is what gives things its mass. It's a little photon. And because the photon is in orbit, you get angular momentum, circular angular momentum, because things spinning on a line do that. That's the Higgs boson? This is in my model. Okay. This will be the Higgs boson. And then surrounding it, you have three more axes of positive charge, which is your proton part. The positron with a mass in the middle. So now it's a proton. Uh-huh. Okay. So... When things fall apart, or with electrons, there's three so-called generations of electron. There's a regular electron, then there's the muon that everyone is probably heard about now, and it's like an electron that's somehow more electron. It's yeah. It's assume, got a assume, I, mass. assume I don't know anything because I actually don't. I've heard muon, but I don't know what it is, and I don't. Yeah, you know, uh, maybe there's maybe my listeners are theoretical physicists. If you are super cool, I'm not. So explain it like I'm five. Right, but okay. So you have an electron which is negative charge, and we'll just leave it at that. A muon is somehow still the same amount of negative charge, but has twice as much mass density to it somehow okay while still huh. only having that same amount of charge what, what what weird okay and then the tau particle is even more and each of these generations is like an excess excess exponential increase in mass like electron let's just call it electron if an electron was one a muon is going to be like 200 are these things that have been observed or are they just uh, kind of like inferred, in inferred from particle, equations? Particle way, however, you can look these things up. The large hard and then collider. the tau particle is like even heavier, but still only has one charge. It's heavier wow. than electrons somehow, but still doesn't have any more electricity. This is, this is like Alice in Wonderland. I know it is. So my thought is that, well, wait, what if there's like three different phases one for each of these axes and the electron is one of these happening and then the muon would be like another one stuffed inside of this 
which would increase the pressure in the space, essentially, which would account for this increase in the mass without there being an increase in charge. And then the tau would be another, like sort of like another phase relationship. So there's sort of like three of them compressed, all running one third against each other, if you know what I mean. Like, let's say the electron charge was up here, then the tau charge would be here and the muon charge would be here so that they can all sort of share this space at the same time. So if aliens come from another dimension, maybe they come from that phase relationship to us. Like hmm. there's going to, that would mean there would be that makes three, sense. three very distinct. That checks out. You know, like what is a charge here would appear as a rotation in their dimension. So we would seem like weird ghosts. Maybe yeah, isn't there something with quarks where they like rotate through dimensions or some craziness like that? Well, they blip yeah, in and out. They do spooky action at a distance and all that. Where you have to rotate, like at a certain point, you go sort of go past infinity, and then you get to start from zero again, coming as if you started again from zero. This is all awesome. I really wish I I knew more of this, and I should teach myself more of this at some point. My my knowledge of balls flying in space pretty much begins and ends with Kabbalah, so <laughs> that's occupied so much of my brain. Uh, but I think I, that... I, go ahead. Just speaking of the Kabbalah, I actually like this is so there's this thing the Wolfram Physics Project, and they've got this way of making graphs and stuff. And did, did you know that AI uh, GPT four has a plugin that will cert, that will utilize the Wolfram Wolf, Wolfram Alpha database? So yeah, you, I you, heard you, it. You can query it. I, I don't know how to use Wolfram Alpha well, but I know that if you know how to use it well. Well, this means I've never used it. This means you don't need to know how to use it. You basically just like click a button that says Wolfram Alpha plugin, and then you just type your question. Okay, yeah, because it's That's got a it. great database. Also, because it, it, it basically does this sort of association stuff as well. It's really good at like tying together, you know, you want to do data maps of things and stuff like that. It's excellent at doing searching and structuring of, you know, world maps to put out all the capitals that have whatever, something, things like that. Okay. Um, this right here. It's super interesting. Like that actually makes, I was, I was actually having, I was trying to follow and then suddenly it kind of clicked. And by the way, I don't know anything about physics, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who listen to this who do. So if they're interested in your work, where do they go to look at it? They should go to my YouTube channel probably is the best place. And it's totally nutty. What can I say? I have a totally different take. I think I think that the hydrodynamics of a dielectric superfluid will self-evolve all quantum field theory. Because I just saw a paper recently that says that showed how Brownian motion, apparently random motion, in water spontaneously will start to form vortices as a way of conserving the energy. They'll turn into a bunch of little rotating places that have the energy. So heat is a bunch of swirls for the most oh. part. It's not like, whereas we you were used to seeing it as like these particles that are going like bing, 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 like a bunch of ping pong ball. But more what happens, it seems, is things will conserve the energy and instead just swirl and swirl and swirl as you can see like a, like it's like a load, like it's like a loading wheel exactly and it Whoa. just loads and loads and Whoa. loads and you i've never heard that you. before that that's 
That's it. That's and super interesting. Because you're building it up as like, yeah, like a flywheel does. You're building it up as rotational momentum as a way of conserving it in space. Huh. So, so that the energy, the same so, energy. Whoa. So that the energy is just not lost. It's basically just it's not it's, lost. It's, so it's conserved. So they're basically so these so, and, and particles are do, doing this. Oh, well, like clusters of particles. So, so, it turns into this, yeah, huh. probably according to the density of the fluid, et cetera, et cetera. There's going to be like Reynolds values that determine the size of the so, vortex. So blah, blah, blah. basically, a cluster of particles will just sit there standing, or will just stand there treading water essentially until they need to do something. Clusters of particles, yeah. I mean, wow. that's, what, that's, how wow. they, that's how they wow. store. That's, that's how they store heat, sort of, right? So then, well, that checks out with like you know, object in motion will stay in motion. So that's like how they save the energy in their part of the world. I mean, I'm using super non scientific terms because they don't know the scientific terms, but uh, yeah, yeah. Th but this I is mean, appropriate no, for a podcast. It's, it's conserving localized energy. And it's just like, it's way more efficient to do it that way, right? Then like, wow. why would you keep on bouncing into things? Wow. It's, so it's because as soon as you bounce into something, you bounce off at an angle. So is the whole and like, then, is the whole like, pin go ahead. Like a development of a rotation is a very spontaneous thing in a lot of what condensed the? matter events. So, so basically, so like the kind of pinball model of like, it's just these like, balls flying in space hitting each other uh in the the large hard-on collider as i call it so that's that's basically nonsense like that or, or rather that's from like visualizations that's, or something like that's how they've taught it but it's not actually yeah that's like i'd say like realistically that's sort of like an 18th century 19th century wow so well that, that means that people are being taught 18th 19th century views in school well, I mean, there's a lot of things because I mean, I don't know. Like, I just, I really think it's like in the next five, ten years, education needs to be completely revamped. For instance, absolutely Pascal's triangle, which is just this, you know, like it's this triangle you make by just having ones, and then you add the one to the one, and it's like, okay, that's two, and that's a two plus a one, so that's a three in this column, and you just make this large triangle that has all these numbers distributed in it. There is so much hidden in that pattern about all kinds of things like it's just mind-boggling that there's certain simple principles and certain simple constructions that we could teach kids like i don't even do matrix like matrix multiplication which where they're teaching kids now as sort of de rigueur because of the computer thing and using it leveraging it for quantum calculations like simple bit analysis and error correction right so but I mean, I just think we need to revamp a bunch of things because a few simple principles will get you so far. Yeah. Like they, they will take you very, very, very far. Well, the, the, the public education system, which is, I, I want to caveat this by saying the public education system is, because by, by the way, I've criticized the education system a lot and I felt bad about it afterwards because I realized that people who are teachers might hear me and think that I'm talking about them. I'm not. The education system no, is full of no. incredible teachers who are doing above and beyond, often buying materials out of their own money and like do, because they don't have funding and things like this. No, so, I so don't think there's incredible think educators. They're given the proper tools is the thing. Yeah. I don't think they're given the proper tools and the purpose. Let's face it, they're trying to do their best, but the way all of society is structured, schools are holding pens for children. 
they're intentionally yeah. way slower than the kids need them to be yeah. because we have to hold these kids in this, you know, holding keep them in their containment that, unit until their horm- hormones are more regulated exactly. yeah. <laughs> i mean i was keep a terrible kid you know like i did great at school and my absences were usually two or three times greater than my marks okay like yeah well that's you know, know that's that's the really dangerous thing you have to watch out for with smart kids they're really smart and they get bored easily and when they get bored easily, they start tinkering with things. And when you're a teenager, that can be pretty destructive. It certainly was for me. So, oh, yeah, here it is demonstrating vortices as Brownian particles in turbulent flows. And basically, it's this description of how this, like, basically, little vortices will evolve, self evolve. It's on my Twitter thing. So, but how these structures hmm. will start to evolve. And if you had a superfluid, that means basically superfluid means make everything happen for free to its most extreme is what it sounds means. good. You know, it's just like everything just goes to its attractor, like its mathematical attractor point or whatever, like either it blows up or dives down to zero. It's just like, that's what gravity is. Everything is rushing in the universe is speeding like right now who knows how fast we're going if you had some kind of absolute measure like how fast are we heading towards like right now how fast are we objectively heading towards the maw of the giant you know black hole at the middle of our galaxy like we must be zooming at like millions of miles an hour or something right we don't notice thankfully there's there's so many things that we we don't notice and take for granted that are necessary for our existence. Like even that, you know, so there's two like branching conversation trees or branches off from this conversation that I see to pursue. One of them is the, one of them is, is aliens phasing in and out of reality. The other is the education system. Please pick the one that is most exciting to you. (laughs) Well, to me, really the education system is probably the most exciting. Okay. Well, you know, that's what I will life in. Pretty much. So you've, you've worked in the educational system. Well, peripherally, because that's where I live, at the periphery always. Okay. So it was like I worked, I worked after school programs, generally as art specialist, and science-focused like activities. And then I worked for, what, 13 years at Spiral Garden, which was an arts-based rehabilitation program for kids with disabilities. And... Yeah, I ended up being doing art, artistic director there for a few years until I got unceremoniously booted for transitioning, That's which a, was like the which was like the weirdest, least likely place to have happened. But whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a real bummer. I, I don't have time to you know look forward. Always just keep your head forward. For sure, I was thinking if, about if you start looking back, then you get caught in one of these vortices. <laughs> Yeah, that is kind of how it feels. That's interesting. Yeah, and then you're stuck, and you're stuck in that this. That is like, how it feels. That's like what that's what therapy is like. You're like constantly going back, trying to figure out what was wrong in childhood. It's like, well, why not just live your life and go forward? You know, <laughs> instead of spending forty yeah. years in therapy trying to figure out 
you know, this, that, or the other. Well, I, I shouldn't, I'm also not a mental health professional, so please don't take what I'm saying as anything serious other than me just like spouting off in the moment. But I just, I think that is interesting. Yeah, just, everybody yeah. should do whatever they feel is necessary for their own A hundred percent. And I, on that note, I was thinking in terms of the educational system, like we know, we know it was invented in the 19th century and it was based around the agricultural cycle so that kids could help with the harvest that's why there's a summer vacation none of that is relevant anymore china is school year-round and we have this weird summer vacation but also like we just know so much more about pedagogy we know how people learn we know that there's a lot of neurodivergence among people for instance like not all brains are the same they didn't know that then now we do we know about learning styles. We know getting kids into nature instead of in a classroom is amazing. Like all of this stuff, we just know so much more. I think it probably is at the point where we should maybe consider rethinking from scratch rather than trying to modify what's there. Plus with internet, yeah. AI, all of this, you know, I, I know I have a friend who's a works with kids and she actually likes, she's an educator. She actually likes AI and AI generated essays because she says that it, it uh, frees the kids up to do other stuff which is what the same thing it will do for them as adults. So like I, even AI, it's like, well, like, yeah, you can like prevent kids from using AI, but then you're not teaching them the real world at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just like, and I mean, a perennial problem is that, and I didn't even read, you know, it's one of these things you just sort of don't think about, but I mean, there really is, a, there are people who don't have internet. There are people in America who don't have internet. Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, in some ways. I mean, like, and I don't, I'm not talking about people that intentionally don't have internet. But there are people who basically don't want, who don't feel like they can afford to spend the 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month it takes yeah. because of everything's like that. And buy a computer and camera, all that. And yeah. all that. And it's yeah. like, I really think it's like, whatever happened to that? Like, I remember in the, you know, back in the battle, the reality hackers days and early internet. It's like, yeah, you know, if Arthur C. Clarke's vision was right, there would have been one bunch of satellites put up and it would have been the world telecommunication system satellites and everybody can use them and we'll add bandwidth and shoot them up and whatever as we go along. But it's like this whole thing that's compartmentalized it through privatization that's just like made it so that it's like it exacerbates hierarchy at all points that's all it is it's like capitalism and the structure that it goes along with unfortunately it's got a lot of upsides but the downside is that it basically all only what it does is only raises the peak and doesn't even move the periphery i don't i don't think that that's true in the sense that you know compare Wait, how people how many live people how many people have do a search now 1990 how many people had like food whatever star died of starvation that year in and in the world or in america in in well, pick it, but i don't care pick one okay what, what i was going to say is if you look at the quality of quality of life at the low end in America now versus a hundred years ago, there's no comparison. I don't think even the richest people were living as well as probably middle-class people now. So I know I'm certainly like, I'm not a Reaganomics guy at all. That should probably be fucking obvious. I don't believe in trickle down economics. I think it's, it, they don't actually do that, but there is a rising Wait, how tide. How many homeless people are there in America though? 
Okay, that's all right. That that's a different question. Okay. Well, no, so, that's right, the okay. same question. What, one, okay, well, so, well, we can do both, but they're the lowest of weight. You just what? Which one you want me to ask? I'm going to ask AI now. So no, you want to do starvation? Oh, no, but let's go back to just this chat because okay, it was totally accidental. But in as we were saying, when you said it's like no, but the lowest get raised up, and then I said, what about the homeless? And then it was like, well, that's a, a different issue. Okay, so then let's, so that you want to ask AI, like, I, I think you can even graph it at this point, just like homeless. No, rates. but my point is that the homeless is the lowest and it's, the homeless is essentially, it's like, you can just measure, actually, that's a good measure. It's like, how many homeless people were there in 1990 and how many homeless people are there in 2020? We have to look at that proportionally by population. We can do that proportionally. Okay, so let me, let me ask this. So let's see, how do we phrase this question? Okay, let's see. Percentage of homeless. Make a graph, because we can do this now, of homelessness in America from 1950 to now. The by capita, per capita. Per capita. And okay, so the x axes should be year y axis. Y axes should be homelessness per, per capita per, per percent of yeah per capita is percent of total population. Yeah. Per oh, okay. Great. Okay. Great. Okay. Let's see. Yeah, education. I don't know. I'm big on sort of certificate process. Okay, check it out. So, so it says, and please hold that thought. It requires historical data that detailed. Okay, it says the information available is somewhat fragmented and doesn't provide a clear year by year breakdown from 1950 to 2023. But here's a summary. Number one, in the 50s and 60s, homelessness declined to the point where researchers expected its near disappearance in the 1970s. Okay, all right. However, homelessness increased rapidly and drastically changed in composition during the 1980s. Now that we don't have causative information for, but I would hazard a guess it's Reaganomic, Reagan Thatcher policy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, in 2019, the national U.S. homelessness rate was 0.17% or 171 persons per 100,000. In 2020, around 580,000 Americans were reported as homeless. In 2022, about 582, 40, 462 homeless individuals were living in the United States. Okay, so let's see. How, how okay, I'm just going to say, how, how would you... Flat percentage-wise in the last decade or so. Because it feels, it feels like the problem has been about the same since a little after the the turn of the century. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to uh, ask you let's see. I love being able to say that too. I think it's so funny. Turn of the century. Yeah, it is funny. Also I like saying that we're in the 20s. How would you describe the general trend over time? Has it improved, stabilized, or gotten worse? Is what I'm going to ask it, and then we'll hopefully have our answer, but it's probably at it's probably looking at Christian cult blogs for the info here. So uh, <laughs> The general trend of homelessness from the 50s to the present seems to have fluctuated. Okay, so it improved from the 50s to the 70s. Now, that was the time that LBJ was doing his Great Society thing in the 60s. And the 50s communist. were... <laughs> the 50s were... Well, now you've killed a lot of communists in South Vietnam. <laughs> Genocide It's murder. funny, yeah. It's like this, they're running this communist system here in the United States with all this LBJ junk, you know? What do, you, is, what do you mean? Yeah, what do you public, mean by that? Public education? What the hell? <laughs> Pinkos. So yeah. <laughs> of course I'm joking. Of course I'm joking because I'm like so communist that would just upset people. <laughs> well, uh, you're, I'm like you're Christian. Canadian. I'm Christian communist is what I am. I'm like what you're Christian. How are you? How are you Christian? What? No, I'm not Christian, but I just mean 
I'm communist in a collective I mean, collectivist, I would, I would accept and love you. Christian I would accept and love you if you if you if you were born again. But still, <laughs> no, no, no. You know, hey, I can I can love Jesus and Jesus loves me. I don't have to worship the dude. <laughs> Jesus so does not care whether I he worship probably yeah he probably Jesus. doesn't. What Jesus wants hands, me to hands. do is go into my cupboard and grab some food and find somebody and give it to them. Thank you. Yeah. Imagine if Christians in America just did that, like actually it, followed what the guys said. This church I go to, uh, it's funny. Okay. So my ex who, you know, who, who I, whose name I won't mention only because I love her and I don't want to get in any trouble from, cause I'm an idiot. So anyways, so, so she has a young, a young one now, two and a half ish. And she got this gig as music director at this church in Toronto. So we go to church every Sunday, pretty much, or okay. every other Sunday. Wow, that must be uh, interesting. It, it's cool, but I mean, the church we go to... Is this to like a liberal is, Unitarian type? Oh my God, it's like, okay. you know, like right. no American should ever come up to Canada unless you're woke. We <laughs> <laughs> would just annoy you so Wait, badly. Is it true? I'm going to come back to the homelessness thing, but is it true that now you can, there's like, you can, they're encouraging suicide for poverty in Canada. Is this a real thing? Or has this has been like completely blown out of proportion? I think it's been blown out of proportion. I don't actually know details. Let me say, if, if I walked into a place right now and said I wanted to commit suicide because life is worthless and look what the hell's going on around the world and please, it's like I've already lived 60 years. It's not going to get any better, that's for sure. So I already, I, I got the best of this planet, you know, like I got, I lived through the seventies and eighties. We were riding high, yeah. <laughs> you know, I got, I'm like, I'm rub, like, rub it in, a, rub it in. Why I'm not, not yeah, I know I'm not a boomer. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I'm one of those cuspers right in, right after boomers, which sucks for work because the boomers. Oh, that's, so you're a cusper also. I'm a cusper between Gen X and millennials. So that's yeah, exactly. And yeah. I'm a cusper from the boomers to Gen X. That's the thing. Why it's like, yeah, work. I don't know. I'll piece it together because all my older siblings already got all the good jobs. <laughs> well, which is like good jobs. It's like all those jobs that everybody works their whole life and has these boring ba da 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 da. And then it's like, yeah, you got your retirement and you just had no life at all. So this is really interesting. I think maybe as a proxy issue, the homelessness yeah. thing. I'm not commenting. Weird. I'm growing up in Canada because I have nothing to say. I, I, I have no confidence oh, whatsoever. Oh, Canada. It's just so, <laughs> let's face it. It's just so like, it's Maybe. just all sweet up here. Well, you, please remember that I was thrown out of your country by your government. So it's not always so sweet. Okay, they aren't. Okay, they're such. It's sweet up to a Canadian. point at which point I feel like Canada is it. Tell me if this is true or not. My sense of Canada is it is ultra sweet, ultra polite. Until you cross a certain threshold, in which case Canadians become unbelievably hellaciously cruel. Yes. Okay, got it. Yeah, that that checks out. <laughs> I think it's the same with a lot of northern peoples, actually. That like everyone's really cool and chill and everything like that. But it's like, but the thing is, what what don't we like in Canada? We don't like violence. Yeah. Don't be an a-hole. Americans love violence. We love don't it. Don't cause trouble. We love it. What do we want to do? It's like we want to go do our things and have our dinners and eat your, live our eat your cool poutine, lives. Go to Timmy Hortons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm all about. I it's like cancel that. Never don't go to Tim Hortons. I know Tim Horton, whatever. 
Canada is owned by like three companies. Is it? Kara, Kara Foods here, they have like seven brands. It's like they own one company owns like Swiss Chalet and Harvey's and Tim Hortons and I don't know what else. Like it's so like that here. I only mom and pop, you know, that's like it's always been this is a lifelong policy of mine. Only mom and pop. Mom and pop, unless there's absolutely sounds like, no choice. Sounds like communism. It's I, I'm a communist. <laughs> I'm so communist. I'm like I'm grapes of wrath communist. Oh, you know, damn. I'm like you're going hard. Okay. <laughs> I'm just like fuck you're, that. You're, you're like, IWW Wobbly's communist. Yes. Wow. Okay. What cool. the fuck? Cool. Yeah. How the how the fuck does Exxon make nineteen trillion dollars profit and we're living in the shithole that made that that nineteen billion trillion dollars profit made. Why is a why is like that nineteen trillion prop dollars profit should go to all the places that are having effects of global warming or whatever? That's you a good point, it. actually. Yeah, I mean that's that's the real carbon offsetting. It's like just if you're going to extract, their, yeah. like, tell yeah. you what, we'll just keep the trillions. You that's can not have bad. Everything. You can have all the lower digits. <laughs> We'll just we'll just keep the top two digits, yeah, or three if it gets that big. So I think we've actually hit on something really, really interesting. So I think this question of the homelessness trend could actually be is actually like an incredible jumping off point for a lot of stuff because it really kind of demonstrates. It's actually kind of like interesting. Now this is obviously theoretical. I don't know for sure, but it seems like it's kind of correlated. This is an interesting correlation to what's actually it's going on. Related to everything. Be, instead of the market, because people always judge economic success based on the market, right? But as we all know, that doesn't that really doesn't do anything for normal people. That's just the stockholders. No, the market is the peak. That's the companies selling rate. selling and buying back their own stock. Yeah. And the homelessness okay. rate is like the 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 bottom. So this is really interesting because a lot of people have said, I think Bernie Sanders said at one point, like you shouldn't be looking at the stock market, you should be looking at wages, right? But this yeah. is even more so, I think. Okay, so here's what it says. It's seen the trend since 1950 in America seems to have fluctuated showing, and then I have a question, I, this sparks a question after this. It seems to have fluctuated showing periods of improvement followed by periods of deterioration. So basically it was improving so much from the 50s to the 70s that people thought it was going to disappear in 1970. Disappear, as in no more homelessness. Disappear, disappear as in not like we have it under control, but disappear. And then contrary to expectations, homelessness increased rapidly during the 1980s. AI's, AI dubs the 1980s deterioration. And then says from then we get 2000s to present has been stabilization slash fluctuation. The data from the recent years shows a relatively stable yet slightly increasing number of homeless individuals from 2020 to 2022. Well, that's just 2020 to 2022. So... It, it, it ignored the 90s and early 2000s. It says it's challenging to provide a definitive answer on whether the situation has overall improved, stabilized, or worsened due to the lack of continuous data. Okay, so here's my extrapolation. Uh, it says that the trends indicate that homelessness is a persistent issue that has experienced periods of both improvement and deterioration over the de decades. So here's my extrapolation from this, and I could be completely wrong about it, but here's my snap reading, is that clearly... I mean, America won World War II. We had the bomb. We had all the money in the world. We had the Great Society or Great Leap Forward. No, Great Leap Forward was China. Excuse me. Great Society. In the, <laughs> let's <laughs> specify 1960s programs here. LBJ, Great Society. And, and then basically Reagan ruined, Reagan Thatcher ruined everything. 
And it sounds to me like it's they basically said it in some way that it's just been like that ever since. And I, you know, the fact that there's data missing from the 90s to the to the present, I doubt that that's actually the case. But my conspiracy mind goes like, well, they must have stopped recording because yeah, the, the Republicans, the Republicans defunded that. Was, that, that was like the biggest like <laughs> tank, right? Yeah. It was like, okay, so then I was wrong and you were right. And, and you were correct about this. And that's, this is new. This is, this kind of brings a few. So like if we take homelessness as a proxy issue of basically just people giving a shit about society at all, it's like, clearly they just like, you know, okay. So this, and this is like the core of my rage in, in a lot of ways, like the, through the seventies. And then again, in the nineties, it's like one, one of the reasons you're talking about Tesla. One of the things that has made me so persistently angry throughout my life is that there were so many good plans proposed in the 20th century that weren't done. And I love that, you know, it's like you can, you start criticizing how things are now and people are like, well, where's the solution? If you don't have a solution, you shouldn't raise your voice. It's like, well, we have thousands of solutions that people have already come up with from the electric car to Tesla's alternating current to all the, you know, like O'Neill colonies, all these things. We had great plans that people just, just didn't do because of, you know, short-term profit expectations or maybe it's too long-term, whatever. They just didn't do it. And so it's almost like, if we look at homelessness data, it's basically like people just stopped caring after the eighties. They're like, we're just going to get ours. And, and I think it's worse now than it certainly it was in the eighties. It was certainly worse under Trump, that attitude. Oh yeah. No, the, uh, yeah, no, as I like, who is a politician recently? It's like, or one of these right wing people is like, okay, Jesus, Jesus is a weak ass cuck. Okay. <laughs> Wait, who this said, is their attitude? This it's is like, their attitude. Yeah, yeah. That 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 sounds about right. Like, that sounds about no, right. These are Christian soldiers, man. They got AR-15s. I mean, th- this is why I call it American. It's like it is so American. Taliban. I, I have an. I have lots of AR-15s. We love violence down here. <laughs> you know, it's just like you got to be evenly matched with the psychos if you want to live down here. That's it. That's it. And uh, and that has been that has been driven in. Movie after movie. Oh, yeah. Hollywood bears a lot. I Hollywood needs to, and by the way, a lot of like pro Second Amendment say people say this and they're right. Uh, Hollywood needs to accept its share of the guilt for these school shootings. And I know that like since the 90s, like the idea talking about like video games and movies inspire violence is like really like, like uncouth in the 90s it's uncool no you can't but, do that dude but and because like i don't think mortal com when people are talking about like mortal combat didn't like i mean come on but we but hollywood has fostered let me put it this way when no, people let's, let's when, call it stochastically though yes yeah like stochastic terrorism absolutely it's like when people that's think, how they've done it it's like a, by adding 10 percent more violence to every single film yes you've added 10 percent more subconscious trauma to everybody. Yes. And also when people think about guns, let alone if a kid, God forbid, finds a gun, the, th- the, the things they have in their head are from Hollywood. They're not real. It's like, it's like with guns, it's like, it's like a gun, like imagine like a lawnmower that like when you press a button, the lawnmower blade flies out and kills somebody and ruins the life of everyone that has ever met them, their parents, their friends, their loved ones, the community, the teachers echoing out for like a blast radius, like an atomic bomb, the whole world when they hear it. 
one person does one, you know, a shooting does that have that effect. People are so numb to it now, but they forget people so, like hundreds, maybe thousands of people's lives could be shattered even with one person being shot. So it's like you have a lawnmower that shoots its blade and does a bit like, or like, or let me, maybe even maybe more basic. You have like a metal box that a smaller piece of metal flies out of and does that. And that's basically what guns are. And all this like glamour and romance, and, oh, the gun and all this, that's from Hollywood. And, and yeah. clearly they're not, they're not manufacturing guns, but they're creating the discourse around them. And I think that, that people really need to look at that. And I think as a magical thinker, you really cannot say that there's no link between showing a representation of something and then people trying to make it real. I don't, I don't think you can. Okay. Yeah. If everybody in the world, un, like we unimagine the idea of a projectile weapon, we just unimagine it. There aren't any, I don't know, it's a lump of metal. Can we melt it down and turn it into something useful? Because well, right I, now, I, I want uh, just, I mean, a lump of metal. As I've said on this podcast many times, I am pro Second Amendment. I've done whole podcasts about it, so I'm not going to go off about it because people are probably sick of hearing about it but i think people should be free to, to have and use whatever they want people need but to the, be able to defend themselves including from including from repressive governments which was the point of the second amendment now beyond that this image of like hollywood has put this image into people's heads of like the, the clint eastwood like the robo cowboy like the guy with the gun who like set, sorts it everything out with violence. It totally romanticizes violence. Like I recently went to go see Taxi Driver again in the big screen. Now that's a movie that, that has not aged well because it's like about every school shooter. And at the end they show like, you know, uh, Robert De Niro, spoiler alert, like, you know, shoots this pimp. He does a vigilante killing. And then the end of the movie is just showing like society loves him and like they're you know he's become a hero and there's some question as to whether he's imagining it or not but it, the movie encourages that and and it's not just one movie this has been going on since the beginning Is of that trayvon cinema. thing that's so like exactly that george what's his name oh but george Zimmerman. yeah that thing yeah. what what about you that? know well just like that's so that kind of scenario only it wasn't even a pimp. It was just like a person, but it's just like yeah. this person cool. having this, that the people can't, it's not discourse. It's just like kill like those horrific shootings that happen. It's like some kids playing hide and seek knocks on the wrong door because two houses look the same and gets shot. Yeah. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. In, in my mind, the appropriate use of a gun, the only appropriate use of a gun only outside of military or police or whatever for a private citizen is to prevent them, them or their loved ones from being killed when they have no, literally no other option. And that needs to be there, but you don't like, that's the use of it. It's not this, this video game insanity that they put out and it's not a light thing. It's basically, I feel, I feel like it's the same kind of issue as going to, this is going to be controversial, but I feel like it's a similar issue to abortion, right? Which is like, pro-abortion advocates or excuse me you know pro-choice are saying nobody wants to do this this is a traumatic thing it fucks people's lives nobody wants to do this but it needs to be available for when people need it when they have no other choice i feel the same way about second amendment right it's great have a gun i mean i shoot i've shot guns i prefer bow and arrow but that's good <laughs> it's like more fun i don't know 
I like tradition and uh, so I mean I love the idea of you know like I, I used to do the survival like teach survival stuff so it's like I love the idea of just like finding a good branch and it's like no I'm gonna make my bow that way you know oh, like, nice. but I'm a nice. super luddite in so many ways like I can't wait to just ditch pretty soon go down to my place maybe maybe put up some solar panels on so that I can get communication and then just you know eat roots and dig around and eat like live <laughs> nice. off whatever I can grow locally. I totally think like this is, I'm still like everybody take all your seeds of all your peppers. Like every single time you buy a pepper, keep the seeds of that pepper. Every time you buy a squash, keep the seeds of the squash, keep them around for a little ways. You could probably put them in the freezer. Most seeds don't mind. Put them in the freezer. Then you, when you go for a walk someplace in a park nearby or some abandoned lot, just fling those seeds. Hmm. If they stick, they're meant to be there. If they don't stick, then they're not meant to be there. But we can Eden up this place. Like, oh, yeah. There's no reason that every single piece of just random ass land is not covered in squash and pumpkins and sunflowers and tomatoes and beans. And we're being so stingy, in my opinion. It just occurred to me how stingy we're being against all the other animals on the planet. We keep all the food production within these pens far away from people so that they have to pay for the food. We don't want people actually having free access to food. That would be dangerous because then they aren't counting on us anymore. So you have your food being grown in these giant corporate pens for efficiency. Da, da, da. Anyways. And the animals want to go and we're like giving poisoning the animals so they can't have any of the pumpkins because, man, we don't want to lose our 1% no, of our crazy. pumpkins it's to crazy. the animals. It's like, we should be dropping these seeds all over the planet. We could have probably three or four times the biomass that we presently have. We could almost be back to, you know, historical levels. Do you know, what, do you know what seed bombs are? Hmm? Seed bombs. Oh yeah, seed bombs. Yeah, seed Google bombs. Google it. People listening. Dude. Google seed bombs. If it bombs. sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't stick, it doesn't stick. Yeah. Okay, you can be a purist about this and that about ecologies. The truth of history is things migrate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what sticks sticks. People that like a place like a place, and people that don't like a place don't like a place. <laughs> the corporatization. That's a thing. I mean, it's like the prison. Oh, that would be another thing. It's like I know. Let's judge, let's judge a country by the per capita in jail. That's a good, okay. All right. This I need to, okay. You okay, don't want to see that. Okay. This reminds me of what I was going to ask. So right now I have the, the info about homelessness pulled up. I'm just going to ask it one question. Compare this to the rest of the world during this time. Okay. Yeah. Or we could just do Canada, but I mean, I'm, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know, know how Canada's that one. Canada's, Canada's got like, a, you know, just, we have, we have, we're a communist country here. So until you're not because uh yeah no but i mean it's true it's like if i was if i was completely destitute and if you are completely destitute in canada i don't think there's i don't think there's no place you could go and you could just be like i need food somebody will give it you will get it that's beautiful however i will caveat because i realized when i was in canada one of the reasons why that is is because canada canadians are so ungodly rich from all the oil so like I, I came up with the phrase socialism is capitalist privilege that pissed them off. Yes, but it is. It truly is. Uh, uh, proof is Canada and the Nordic countries. 
So no, totally. rich as hell. It's kind it's once you've made your money, then you can be nice. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's you haven't, an, it's enlightened <laughs> capitalism. And it and it's what every ruler who wants to actually have a empire needs to learn is like you take care of your people. Yeah. Or they'll you fucking sure kill you. Or happy. they'll kill you. <laughs> Otherwise they'll revolt. Yeah. And, and not even, but everyone's gonna make fun of your country because you treated them like you treated like a shithole that you're just there to exploit. Well, this is like Doug, Doug Rushkoff read that article we talked about on this podcast where he he went and you probably saw this where he like these ultra billionaires like invited him to come talk to them in their compounds. Oh yeah. Their survivalist compounds, and they were talking about like the event and how like everyone was gonna rise up against them. And Doug said to them, it's like, and, and they wanted his opinion on like how to survive and technology and blockchain and all this. And, and he just $30 said dollar like, an hour minimum wage, universal health care. Basically, um, what, basically what he said to them is, have you considered being nice to people? And they yeah, just looked really? at him like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Meanwhile, they're talking I about like private security forces and all this, you know. No, it's people. I think it comes to the gameplay. And, you know, like my whole, my whole life has been a very cool. I, it's a, I play very cooperatively. That's my strategy. I'm all about network, make friends, expend energy that doesn't, I don't need return. I'm just going to help you because what the fuck am I doing? Nothing. You know, just do that. Build, build, build your relationships that way. And that gives you a certain security because it's like, yeah. you know, and it's like, I never felt like it was like, it's not transactional because it's so dispersed. It's just like, I'm going to try and be good. And I will count on the fact that, you know, I've got friends and I'll help them yeah. and they'll help me. Yeah. And we, no, will it's totally, we will mutual totally. support. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was like, two, when the economic crash happened. And I was doing, I was, I was putting together Dangerous Minds with Richard. There was a guy that he really liked named Charles Hughes Smith, who was an economist who wrote this really good article that was right after the economic collapse, where he basically said like, yeah, all you people like trying to bug out into the woods and be survivalists and build compounds like underground with all your food, Mormon style. Okay, great. What happens when you break your leg or you sprain, you twist your foot? And there's no one around. Like he said, this is just a stupid idea. It's a bad survival strategy. The correct strategy is making lots of friends and having a huge yeah. network and being of use to them. Like he was like, can you sharpen knives? Be the, narf, be the knife sharpening guy in your community. You know, like that type of, you know, find what you can do and contribute. And I think I that's did. correct. Yeah. If each, if each, and not only that, but I mean, like internally, it's like each skill you learn, you go, hey, I got a skill. That's a thing you own. In a way that it's like, it's not a tool. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's not a handbag to show off. It's a thing that you possess. It's like, really, it's in your mind. It's, it's a construction that you've done. And because you've done it now, it's, it, you own it. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think this whole American survivalist thing is just totally insane. And with, and, and, you know, I'm not one to normally do this, but you have to say things as they are, like has some severely racist undertones to it. People are just like, we got to get out of the inner cities. We got to get out in the woods. They're coming for us. It's like, okay. Have you tried oh, talking yeah, to you, anyone in the inner city? Analysis, the countryside is not a safe place. Not at all. There's a lot of crime in fairly low density places, which seems wrong. But 
This is, again, one of the flips that people don't realize. Yeah, the 70s kind of sucked in cities. That's because there was a whole transition going on. The white, but I mean, the anybody white, white who's thing. actually lived in cities like London or Paris. Fuck it, I wouldn't know, live Toronto, in London. Montreal, I wouldn't lots of cities, New York. It's I wouldn't live in New York now either, though. Well, that's a different no, issue, though, but that's because yeah, of the COVID, COVID fallout. Really pulled, because the COVID reversed this trend, because the, the whole safety of a yeah. city is there's 20 people witnessing anything that goes on. Well, which, well, but okay, Kitty Genovese, right? It doesn't necessarily matter if you're in New York. Like, I've been attacked in New York and people just stood there watching with their mouths open. So, you know. Well, yeah. I don't know. I've never had that here. The only time I know. Well, Canada, probably not. I think, but New York is a little different. New Yorkers don't care. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's just me and my friends, but I actually know that we're kind of interventionists. Oh, well, if it's your friends, that's a different story. I mean, Kitty Genovese was like neighbors. Strangers. Like strangers and neighbors. Yeah. It's it's like, no, stop what you're doing. What you're doing is wrong. Like, I can't remember. I can't remember. I mean, I got kicked out of the house for saying that, but. you know, you see a mother hitting their child. It's like, I'm sorry. It's like, I don't care how upset you are with your child. What you're doing is wrong. And that's just like, call it moral absolutism if you want to. Well, but I don't think shooting random people in the head <laughs> that's is a, really the kind of thing that's, we should say, well, yeah, but I that's mean, a they pretty felt black like they, they needed to do that. It was their personal self-expression. They had a hard It's like, no, it. it's, you know, you got to draw some, some, some reasonable yeah, lines. Absolutely. Oh, so I asked it about data compared to the rest of the world. It basically, for go figure. It seems like data isn't clearly kept about these things. Would, would you would you just go figure? It's like people don't want people knowing these figures. No, they would don't. You, it said that it basically said that it doesn't know compared to the rest of the world, but it said that the U.S. has relatively high rates of homelessness ranging among the OECD countries. Oh, what is OECD? That's like. Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. So it's like NATO or I don't know, who knows. But it says it has high rates of homeless, homelessness, particularly when compared to Southern European countries. It says, that's interesting. It says Southern, not Northern. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, Northern European countries might have statistically almost zero homelessness. I don't know. They may just not be keeping records either. So, for instance, during COVID, it looked like Africa had zero. The whole continent of Africa had zero COVID outside. Right. I think meaning, South, meaning, outside. I think South Africa or something, but or, or not all. The, some most of the country it was just grayed out. Right. Like it didn't have any COVID. It was like that's because they're not taking records or reporting yeah, records. And, and China, China was taking records but not sharing them with everyone else. So, but yeah, this is. Oh, here we go. Okay, this the AI pulled this from our world and data, and they have some interactive charts. Oh, here we go. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna text this to you on the uh, the chat. How do I do that? Me, 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 me. Okay. So for for people that are listening, what I am looking at, you can easily find on the internet. It is a bunch of charts about homelessness, interactive charts, and it is at ourworldindata.org/homelessness. I'll put that in the show notes. Also, here's the chat. Okay, so I'm gonna te- I text you the link on chat, and then. It looks like it's actually been going down from right. 2007. Okay, but however, like here's the thing though, like the figures that they have on homelessness, it's it's in, decreased quite a bit from 2007 to 2016, but the the figures they have for that are Oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Both sheltered and unsheltered homeless have gone down. 
but this was up to 2016, I would guess it's skyrocketed since 2020. So like, for instance, like, like violence in the U.S., despite what the media says, like the uh, violent crime in the U.S. was plummeted from, it was at its height in the 70s. Like like New York Joker style, like Taxi Driver, it oh, was yeah. unbelievable. And then it yeah. it plummeted without interruption all the way up to the point where violent crime was almost non-existent in the U.S. Despite what we hear in the news all the time, because the shootings, right. go, you know, we like I think I feel like Canadians and Europeans think that like America is like this gigantic Call of Duty game where people are just all shooting each other as soon as they walk out the door. <laughs> but basically, violence was non-existent until the COVID lockdowns, in which case it went through the roof. And, and now it's more than the seventies or really? yeah, it's more, I don't know about now, but it certainly was 2020, 21. And now I, I suspect it's probably still pretty high because people are really hurting after that economically yeah. and otherwise mentally they're hurting. So no, yeah, no, it was a, it was a complex, I mean, all, and all of the stuff that's like, however you feel about the MRNA vaccines and whatever, yeah. you know, the math, However you feel, all that we definitely know is a lot of people felt a lot of anxiety and trauma over that period. Yeah. For whatever oh, yeah. reasons, whether, and, and I, and it's like, as with most things, it's like, it's not even worth analyzing. It's like, should they have, or shouldn't they have, was it just or caused or anything? That's irrelevant. It's, yeah. Cause the, what the people felt is what they felt. And the recovery needs to be from where they are, not from where you wish they were. Yeah. So what do you think? I feel like people right now are basically just kind of pretending like it never happened. And I don't know, what, what's it like in, in Toronto? Toronto's very mixed. Most people are pretty lax again. Now that it's winter time, it's starting to pick up wearing them on the TTC and stuff. Oh, but we don't masks. have a mandate, so we're not bothering for the most part. Okay. But I think the one thing is, and the one thing that it's like, you know, always been my feeling about it, but it just never made sense. But it's like, you know, you're someplace, let's say I go to church. I have huge faith in my white blood cells and my general <laughs> physical being. Okay. I have immense faith in this little vehicle I'm driving. And so I don't bother. I'm like, no, my white belt's good to handle it. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. So, so you're, you're still, you're going, I may be like, in a, on a totally, cause basically like I didn't come out of lockdown. Like I don't go out into big public places or anything like that. Part of that is just See, my personality. Cause I was like that before COVID, but yeah, I'm just, I'm know. just living my life exactly the same as I, before COVID. Okay. Okay. And you're okay. So you, feel, just, you do feel that things are kind of back to normal. Yeah. Very much here. That feels very, like the streets were like, Oh my God, like Christmas shopping is going to be busy on the streets of toronto people like their shopping here it's really like people, people love, love to shop. their shopping yeah, it's really shop. it's a very commercial and like everybody loves to be dressed like people are really into uh, okay. being on top of shit here and okay. fixing up their houses too it's kind of like it's the bouginess is like a little much for me because okay. you know i've been living so minimal for a while why why are, so why are people like that competing with new york or or just no, I different self-image I, I think it's just it's something that Canada's always promoted. Oh, actually, if you ever come up to Toronto, you totally have to come to this place, Casaloma. What is it? And you should look it up and investigate it a bit. Casaloma? Casaloma. Okay, it's, oh, it's casa. a castle in Toronto. Castle. Like a castle. Okay. 
And it was that's built a pretty big by castle. Like this, this crazy rich guy who made all his money. He bought a bunch of land out in Western Canada before there was even a railway out there. Okay. And and then damn, the this, this castle's huge. There, this is like a, this is like a Disneyland castle. It's oh, a it's a Disneyland castle. There's back passages. You start to investigate this guy, and it's like, oh, he was no doubt involved in weird Toronto stuff. His house is located because I'm very much about the Masonic stuff in Toronto. His house is located right on Davenport, which is the old Indian trail. It's also the piece of land that has some other historical significance. And the Masonic temple in Toronto, which is right at the corner of the same street, the, the oldest Indian, like the oldest trail that existed that the Iroquois and whoever used. And the longest street in the world, Young Street, right at the corner is the Masonic Temple. Right now, the home of InfoMart or whoever is basically picking the brains of Toronto all Info, the time. InfoMart? Like, what is that? Info something. I, InfoTech. It's like whoever's in the Masonic Temple, they have big posters that say, yes, we're we're taking all your data and we know how your brain oh well let me shed some light on that because as a 32nd degree freemason oh wait there's one more thing okay go ahead the angle between the masonic temple and this guy's house pick a number over nine thousand. no 33 nice well 33 is an important number in freemasonry so very likely so Freemasonry is dying. I mean, like the the thing with Freemasonry is everyone, greatest generation all joined when they came back from the war because they needed that unit experience. They still needed to be part of a regimented group with people. No boomers joined. And then a ton, no Gen Xers joined, like zero. And then a ton of millennials joined because millennials have this kind of like service mentality, a lot do, which Freemasonry is very big on like the Shriners, yeah, yeah, Shriner yeah. hospitals and things like that. But the organization is running out of money. Like the lodge I was part of had to be sold. And and so I would suspect that what's happening there is they're simply renting it out to another business that's that's paying the the fees because they do that oh, all yeah, the problem. time. Yeah, because a, a, a lot of those Masonic buildings were just bought in cash, like in the 30s or something like that. And they just own the building so they can do stuff like that. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's usually the it's the concert hall. Just like it is in New York. I mean, that's where we saw Throbbing Gristle, right? I saw Throbbing Gristle in London and LA. No, no. They played the, uh, yeah, Masonic. It's in by Pratish area. I think there isn't, there's a Masonic temple they do shows in in San Francisco, I think. Or excuse me, no, there's just Masonic Street. Maybe, I don't know. I I didn't see my, I didn't see many shows. I did see just recently Tangerine Dream. How was that? With none of the original members. Okay. And it was still really great. It, it was, was awesome. Really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They impressed me, actually. My brother had a really great time. He loved it. My friend, whose birthday it was, and I sort of took out, he complained because it was too loud. Okay. But I enjoyed it. But what I was impressed with was right at the start when we were there, the guy's like, he's like the whoever the leadish guy of the, the present unit is. He was sort of like chit-chatting a little bit at the start. And he was like, oh, yeah. And so earlier when we were playing, we found, we rung out the room. Like we found the resonant frequency of the building. And so then he was like, here it is. And he's like, 
And it's just like, you know, hold the place, that feeling you get when you're that resonant. It's just like, oh, it's really? like the whole place is just like full. It's like the air somehow is like full of cotton. Wait, what was he? He was playing a frequency that was the frequency of the building? Yeah, it's like he tuned. He had just gone with his oscillator and slowly, you can wow. do this in any room, any room you want. Just slowly pan up through all the frequencies and you'll hear at a certain frequency, you'll just be like, whoa. Really? You can like, that's the note. And so they found it. It was this super deep note, and he saved it for the jam on the second. Was it? Was it like every once in a while, he'd push it, and it would just be like. Would you? Was it like super, like low on the low end, like ten, twenty hertz, or something like that? No, it was higher than that. My guess would have been it was like fifty-five. Interesting. Yeah, that 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 checks out. Did you know that forty hertz? is the frequency range of Tibetan chanting and will actually induce unity consciousness. If you just listen to an oscillator at 40 hertz, I've tested it. It's interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. Just put on an oscillator at 40 hertz and just sit there. I wonder what our dream machines were like. I never, oh no, we used to, I used to plan to make sure that they were pinging me at around eight. Hertz? Yeah. I would design the, like I'd ratio the, the holes to the tube to the speed of the, turntable so they would do eight around eight hertz because that's the alpha waves did you just do the uh, 78 rpm player and cardboard cutout dream machine well i just did it on 33 you know it doesn't yeah, matter what okay table is i thought it had to be 78 you just you just have to recalculate the number of holes if you're running at a slower speed okay i so have a proportion to make sure that you get hit with the lights at about usually you want it between eight and ten twelve depends i have i built i built mine the ones that i built always had three different frequencies built into three different ah. but the traditional one is one single frequency so for those who are listening who don't know about this the dream machine is a device invented by brian geisen that burrows and then later topi were super big on which is like a cylinder with holes in it with a light inside that spins on a record player and you look at it with closed eyes and it creates a flicker pattern on your eyelids that makes you trip I, when I first met Jen, Jen gave me the original pamphlet from Topi in the 80s on how to make one. And I did it with a 33. And it was interesting, but I just used the 78 one. So I don't think it was right. And so I've never properly done Dream Machine. Like never. Um, yeah, no, it's, imp- it's important that you tune it. Like even if you can get a record player that's got a good pitch control on it. Can you just buy them? Like I was looking like, can you just, they must make nice ones now, right? Can you just buy one? Somebody Please. must buy them, but okay. I mean, you know. If they, somebody was going to make a dream machine, they'd probably be listening to this podcast. Please somebody make them and sell them. Thank you. Yeah. Jason can do an unboxing even. Oh, actually, if you make, I'll, I'll say this to my listeners. If you actually make and sell a dream machine, you can come on this podcast and talk about it. There we go. Free advertising. If you're not like psycho or unpleasant or anything like that, if you're normal. <laughs> and by normal, I don't mean your interests. I mean, like, can you, are you polite? <laughs> yeah, you got to be nice. Yeah. But yeah. And then you can market your $200, $300 dream machine to like thousands of people who will probably want to buy it. I will buy a dream. If you make a dream machine, I will buy one. I won't. I mean, I was so crazy back in the day. I used to just take my synthesizer output, the headphone output. I only did this a few times. But you can do it. You take the headphone output, best with battery-operated devices so you don't electrocute yourself. But you take the headphone output, and then I would soak the wires in salt. In, I'd attach the wires 
to little pads that I had soaked in salt water. And then I put them on my eyes. That must be great for you. <laughs> and you can make the phosphines come right off the back of your retina. What? what, what do you using mean? the electricity. What are you talking like about? The, the electrical headphone signal will force the chemicals in your eye to light up. So it just gets brighter? Well, no, it's like flash, flash, flash. Oh, wow. It was so it was like so poof, you're basically poof, poof. shooting sparks into your brain through your eyeballs in your retina. Well, I'm just <laughs> so, I'm coaxing. You're, you're, the I mean, that's like one reaction. step. That's like one step away from ECT. So <laughs> it's one step away from ECT. <laughs> uh, uh, have you ever uh, have you ever tried TDCS, transdermal cranial stimulation? It's basically exactly what you're talking about, except you put yeah, the, we, I mean, you me put the hats on your, on your head. I used to play around with that all the time, actually. And my friend... To stimulate uh, areas of, of your brain. Yeah, I mean, you know, things were still freewheeling in the 70s and 80s, like that. You can get them so on Amazon now for like 150 bucks, something like that. I've done, I've used a lot of TDCS. It's probably responsible for some of my more flagrantly insane social media posts. Um, <laughs> it's, but it definitely works. I mean, it's, you just put like a negative, you put like a negative pole on your shoulder and then the positive pole somewhere on your head. And depending on the region you put it in, it stimulates different areas of the brain to do things like, you know, this was developed by DARPA. So it's like, you can do things like, like lower depression, increase unity consciousness, increase mathematical ability, increase focus, like increase empathy, things like this, depending Crazy. on where you put it. Yeah. I and it really, it works. TDCS. I, I recommend it. It's very interesting. Because that sounds like very much like the, you know, the, the, the little electrostimulation device that Pete Townsend used to kick heroin back in the day. Did it, a bunch did it of, work long There were a bunch of people and there was this device that was marketed back in the day. And it was like these two little electrical stimulators that you put at the base of your spine, as I recall. And then it had this little oscillator and specific frequencies would induce your brain to release specific chemicals. Oh, instead of? doing instead of taking a hit exactly. you do that did it work for so, like satisfy your morphine need without needing it and then you can just wow. like slowly turn down the volume on that it sounds basically. useful to have if you're not an addict or kicking drugs just to have it to, do they have to surgically implant it or is it like just you stick it to your neck no 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 it's just like those little stickers on the back of your neck do they still sell this what is this called i don't know i don't know I don't okay know. Gonna... if you look at pete townsend electro stimulation addiction or something did, did it work for him long term yeah i'm pretty sure it did it did. and there was a bunch of people but i mean this is this whole realm it's weird this it's one of these times it's like with the ufos it's like it's opening up the woo and i lately i'm gonna presently err on the side of curmudgeonly materialists i agree with you because i'm just gonna be like listen if it's if the woo is right it'll meet any challenge i put it and if it's not, then it's not, you know, like sort of thing. And it's like, everyone knows me. It's like, I don't know. It's like anybody who knows me knows that it's like, I can say I don't believe in anything. And at the same time, I'm a materialist. And at the same time, I, you know, I believe in touch therapy because I've, because I've done it to people. Well, you know? I think it's that's, like, that, there's lots of research on that about the positive effects of touch. on All people. kinds of things. So, I mean, it's like, it's one of these moments where it's just like, it's just really hard because it's opening up a lot of these things, like this kind of tense thing. It's like, wait, this concept of basically oscillating fields and various frequencies having various effects on various parts of the body and, 
et cetera, et cetera, this whole thing, it can be taken into a totally like too woo-ish place. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've been thinking, but this at is the interesting. same time, there's something very solid there. Yeah. I think it's know? just a question of not over-exaggerating. And that's what yeah. I, that's what I strive to do with magic. Like it would be so easy for me to like be like, I am the prophet of the new Aeon and you must like follow my system and do what I say. Like just like go full Eric Cartman mode. But <laughs> which might be funny. But like no, I I I I try to not overpromise because, you know, if magic, if there actually are supernatural things in magic, people will find them on their own. And I don't need to tell them. I just need to tell them the basics that are real that will not violate people's idea of of, of what is sane. And, but I think that now looking back on the nineties, which is, is something that I do a lot of too much of, you know, do, do you know, do you remember that role-playing game vampire, the masquerade? I uh, never played any games. Okay. So this is a really popular role-playing game in the, in the nineties where you were like played a counterculture vampire. And I had the, okay. the guy who created the, the guy who created the the show on the podcast or created the game on the podcast, Mark Ryan Hagen. We were talking about that. And, and, and he was saying like, look, in the nineties, the bad guy was the moral majority. Like we were trying to fight the, you know, Christian censorship and the, you know, concerned parents for like, like explicit lyrics, labels and Tipper Gore and all of that stuff. And so that's why things oh, yeah. were so edgy. And like, like the thing in the nineties was like, or the eighties was like apocalypse culture, like challenging reality well now like we need reality put back together you know it's like like i tell people it's like i don't like when people ask me about magic i first of all i don't put it i don't even put it in the same discourse with science it's just like like if somebody asked me like well what about science i'm like well i surrender it's just like i don't like argue with science magic is like a an art form or a personal growth process. It's something subjective. I am not making any type of truth claims with it. I'm just saying this is a fun and and personally evolutionary and very, very maturing thing to do if you do it right. But I'm not claiming the universe works by magic. And, you know, I've been telling people recently, it's like, you only need like one or two guys like me. You only need a few people holding up the magic flag. Like society is, the internet has revealed you know, it's like, I remember in the nineties, I assumed that like everyone was like totally rational and it's like, they just have this like control lockdown on everything. And what the internet has shown is like, everyone is utterly irrational. So if anything, we need more rationality and more science and more logic. And, and that needs to be separate and held up and more data. And that needs to be respected and held up instead of all, you know, just saying it's fake news or whatever, or global warming isn't real. That's the issue right now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's absurd. It's like, it's, and you, you can't argue what was, uh, what was Kevin, Kevin Newth, the scientist who, who's been looking at the UFOs in a very, like, very, just like, very, like, look at, let's look at the evidence. So what do you think? Of, so I'm, by the way, I have not followed this at all, the UFO thing. Cause I'm just like, is the government saying it? I'm not interested, but what's your, what's your take on it? I don't, I mean, I, it's so weird. It's so weird and complicated, but he's just like a very, he's just a very nuts and bolts scientist. And it's like, look at, if you can travel faster than light, then in a way time starts to not mean anything because time dilation will affect you while you're traveling. So you could visit earth and then visit another planet, visit another planet, visit another planet, come back to earth. And it's 10 years later on earth, or it's a thousand years later on earth. To you, it was a week, you know, but that way you can watch humans evolve because you just come and visit every week. Only on Earth, it's 10,000 years have gone by every week. 
you know, sort of thing. It's like, there's ways of getting around these. So once you start playing, it only takes three or four species in a galaxy, I guess. Like once you get to a certain level of technology, if you can start to do this crazy traveling, almost the speed of light or so close that it's equivalent, then everything just seems like, will just seem like child's play, relative speaking. It's like they can do time dilation. You think it's time dilation. Maybe they just shot a light at you and they knocked you out yeah. for half an hour and, you know, posed you in a bunch of positions and like they got memes coming out. Teabagged you and took pictures You're of famous it. on their planet. <laughs> famous on famous. alien internet. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I wouldn't. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's probably that's probably and then, what and it is. It's like, well, they they're they're just time. coming here. They're just coming here to pose with us for selfies, is what you're saying. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> the The only thing that seems to make sense to me is that at this point, it's like I very much see. I guess it's like the uh, the, 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 the 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 alien kind of scenario, Prometheus thing. It's like, oh yeah, okay. So so maybe they came to a planet. These people that already know how to, they've evolved and they got traveling around stuff, you know? So they see a cool planet like Earth. Maybe there was life. Maybe there wasn't life. Maybe there already was some life. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe this is where the octopus come from. And all it takes is one of them to throw their lunch in the cesspool. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like one of them dies. It's like a, like a Frito-Lay wrapper with like their skin cells on it. Because you know, inside of us, in the DNA, if you, if you had primordial earth at a certain point and you just threw in one dead human, because I mean, Hey, we're an entire biome. So I've got like this, like who knows how many species I incorporate in my body. I've probably got like a thousand different species inside of me and on me and stuff. So, I mean, all of that DNA would fall apart and fragments that worked would work and ones that didn't would didn't, but it would sort of give this, you know, it would have been that that nudge that just coaxes things along a little bit. And so I can totally see that of happening, you know, who knows what at what stage they did it, whether, you know, whether it was during maybe Burgess Shale period, maybe it was before there was any life, who knows exactly. And then they just keep on visiting because they're just like, well, how does this Petri dish turn out? So basically, and how does the other one? You've, you've I, just, I think of you've, that just you've just I described that. you've just described like the first three pages of Genesis. Yeah, but I mean that's that's the yeah I've I've been so into the Enki and Enlil. Oh, oh, really? Like, the Sumerian stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they evolve into Yah, like Yahweh, sort of like might be one of them. I think it's Enlil who's the ass. One of them is a really controlling guy. Basically, it seems like. And one of them is a little bit more freewheeling and it's like wants humans. One of them wants to control humans like we're slaves. One of them is like, no, 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 let them play. It's like they'll be, you know, they've got their thing to do. Let's watch them. Let's watch them play there. So Sumeria, Sumeria is ultra interesting for me. And I notice also Damien Eccles went on a huge Sumeria trip a while ago. But the reason it's so fascinating for me is it's as far as we know, the first civilization that we have records of it. Now, I, and I'm not up on all the ancient aliens and Gogoleki Tepe and all of that stuff, but Sumeria is pretty freaking old. It's, the, I believe, the oldest established civilization that we know of. 
nobody knew it existed until they just dug it up randomly in the late 19th century. There were vague references in the Bible, but nobody knew it was even a thing until they dug it up. I mean, that might happen again with satellite imaging or something. We don't know with other civilizations. But the other thing is the culture, it was, I believe they were conquered by the Akkadians who were conquered by the Babylonians. So a lot of the ideas of the Sumerians, including potentially Kabbalah, went from Sumeria to Acadia to Babylon to the Jews in the Babylonian captivity. So there's a, there's a potentially an argument to be made there that some of the stuff that ended up in Kabbalah comes, it does go back to Sumeria. Now I'm not a historian, so I might be talking out of my ass, but that, what I just described did, that is the history of it. If anything survived, that's a, above currently above my pay grade, but the, the Sumerian conception of the world. Oh, the other reason why I'm so interested in it is because Crowley said at one point later on, the magical tradition goes back to Samaria. And the point of his work is to reconstruct the Sumerian tradition. And he said that mm -hmm. Iwas was a Sumerian god at one point. Or he, I think he may have said that Iwas was Enki or Enlil at one point. He may have. I don't know. He said something like that. And But the Sumerian worldview, I think there's only like one, one or two books on it. Sumerian worldview from what we've been able to piece together was essentially that human beings existed only to serve the gods. They were slaves to the gods and had no worth otherwise. Like there was no idea about human rights or human dignity or the inherent value of humans, but it was just that humans were to serve the gods. And also I believe the idea of Babylon also goes back to Sumeria, like the, the Scarlet Woman temple goddess, and which means that Babylon is a lot older than Christianity. For sure, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, like by a lot. And so all of that is just super interesting to me. Also, I love the Sumerian conception. Yeah, you said, you said Christianity, when you really, you mean Judaism. Well, also that, yeah, but also, but, but. Because I mean, there was no Christianity until zero, 1 AD or 0 AD right. or whatever. Or, well, or when Paul put it together, I mean, Jesus. In that 300 Paul, after that, or whatever, yeah. like in, definitely it's in the ADs. I believe that Babylon is in Judaism as well. Like there's something about the, the red haired kind of temple prostitute figure, I believe is also comes from that time period and part of the world. And so that tradition yeah. didn't stop. A really great YouTube is the Esoterica. I don't know if you watched it. Is that um, is it? Sledge's, what's his name? James Justin Sledge? Maybe. Yeah. I think and if you're, if that's who I'm talking, I think it is, if that's what you're talking about. But he's, he's like very well researched. He's like a rabbi. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, very that, well that, researched that guy, by the way, I have not watched his YouTube, but I studied a lot of his papers while writing the D book. That, that guy I vouch for, he knows his shit. I haven't yeah, watched his YouTube, exactly. but I respect like that guy's opinion. He goes back to the original texts yeah. and stuff. Like, yeah. you know, it's nice to see that kind of like putting that kind of thing. Cause it really gives perspective to the, some of these traditions. But the, but yeah, this idea is sort of this, this like, oh, so it's like, yeah, so the aliens came and they made some humans and apparently it seems like Enlio was like straight ahead, like, yeah, we made a bunch of robot humans, they're supposed to dig our gold for us or whatever it is that, that we need or plutonium, whatever, you know, and, but Enlio was sort of like, I don't know, these, these ones seem like somehow like a little more charming than some of the others or something, you know, it's like, some spark of the idea and whether that's just a human delusion or whether he had his own, like he just wanted to take them away from Enlil or something, who knows? But it's sort of like this, like battling sort of ideas of sort of like, should we be under, to me, it's more like, should we be under control 
like monotheism yeah. and stuff? Or do we just let, you know, like go play and let's see how it turns out. Let's not get a lot of preconceived ideas about how things should be, how we should behave. If we each just behave in a civil, decent manner to each other, we don't need a dogma. It's like, you know, when I had, I had this long ex- argument or not argument discussion in when I was in Costa Rica, trying to explain how an atheist can possibly be a decent moral human being really easily really easily you don't follow all those insane human being (laughs) you don't do all the insane shit that religions tell you to do (laughs) yeah exactly and they told me and it's like but you're an atheist why are you nice (laughs) because i'm an atheist thank god and and then it's like i so i basically had to explain game theory to them in a way (laughs) wait wait okay break that down how does game theory relate to atheism that's interesting well cooperative I build relationships. This is my game strategy. You can you can be a hoarder as a game strategy. You can I be uh, you know big into alliances. I'm big into alliances. It's like yeah. why would I? It's like if you play Golden Rule, then yeah, you might get screwed once in a while. But the relationships you build will be enough compensation, and it's a way of weeding people out too. Because I mean, it's, yeah. it, once you once you see people somebody who doesn't play that way. You don't play with them anymore, right? But you still get to play with all the people that you've tested because you have to, you know, like it's sort of what's this analogy? The fetish community. Okay. Okay. It used to be you want to go to a fetish party, you need to dress nice. You cannot come into a fetish party in your homeboy jeans and your t-shirt. That's not cool. And why? It's because everyone who's coming to this party is making themselves vulnerable by coming to this party. So that's an anti, you know? And so the dressing up is like, this is the proof that I'm invested in the risk that I'm taking by making myself vulnerable. I see. For the benefit it will pay off later. Same in game theory. It's like, you have to risk somebody burning you you're you're putting some skin in the game no pun intended you have to put some skin in the game to find out whether there's a bond there okay you know because otherwise if you play too shady with people all the time nobody will ever trust you if you dive in wholeheartedly with people they know they've got a good ally when they need a good ally so therefore they're going to be more likely to support you at a time when you need because they understand that you've already played as a fair player you know, and that you will compensate again at some point. I really like that. That's very helpful. I think putting it in the way that you've said and saying like, yeah, you're going to get burned a few times, but making it a percent and a small percent, which it probably will be suddenly doesn't make it a black and white thing. Cause always it's like, Oh, like I should trust people, but I got burned that one time. So I can't trust anyone. That's a hundred percent. So I think turning it into like a numbers game is actually very helpful. Yeah. I think people, I think, I think, that's it's like the danger of trauma because <laughs> trauma like about all kinds it's like even all kinds of things it's like it makes you fearful yeah well you're now that's, that's, you're, you're that's what it's anticip- supposed to do you're anticipating a worst case scenario it's, it's which trying to now protect makes you. you yeah which makes you act but that almost but then, you, you, then you act you overact yeah yeah it's confining yeah it's it's confining you. It's not allowing you to make plays that might be in your best interest 
because you're not prepared to take the risk. It's like yeah. love, you know, I mean, you have risk. to risk, it's gigantic risk. you have yeah. to risk, you have to reach your hand out for somebody else to grab it. If you just stand there like this with your arms crossed, nobody can ever grab your hand. You know, you can stick your hand out and somebody might leave you hanging and you go, okay, well, whatever. But you know, you have to take the chance. Otherwise you can't get the upside. It's like, you've got, you've got to put the ante in to play the game. I like that. I like that. So what, what do so it, I don't want to totally leave Sumeria though. So you found out more oh, stuff yeah, about Sumeria. it. So I just like, yeah, it's like, and this is how there's, Oh, this is channel. I've been watching lately. Two old guys. Okay. That's what it's called. Two old guys. And they have like a peace sign is their symbol thing. It's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't want to think right now. It's like in my mind, they're like two gay, grateful dead hippies who are like imparting their knowledge. Their oh, that sounds historical great. Knowledge. That sounds awesome on all this stuff. And they're like, I mean, mostly it's like, you know, the Mr. Tetra, Tetragrammaton. I have like, I don't have a, I don't, I shit in four letters face. Okay. This person, this creature, this disembodied thing has caused a lot of problems on this planet as yep. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like the sub and, the subgeniuses said, you know, like Jehovah one, you know, Jehovah was an alien and he's still at large. He exactly. has he has not yet been brought to justice. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly the stance. But but they go into it a bit you about this genealogy thing about the Enclean and the Enlil thing and how how Yahweh and El got sort of merged together oh, to become this, Okay, yeah. You know, and how en- en- Enlil was probably more like like Al isn't bolt and so the suffix for for angels is always al i believe that that's also is that also sumerian el or al is the suffix yeah, for exactly. all angels Which yeah to me just reminds me of sort of like the way i used to play when i was doing drugs a lot and with the ptv it's like the 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 jack the jack of the like they did the album jack of the tab which to me was the intelligence in the tab it's like the the spirit in the tab you say the jack of the pulpit, it's a kind of plant because it has a penis. But I mean, the idea is that there's sort of like an intelligence. There's there's a being there, the jack of the. Hmm. So the al is sort of like, it's a spirit. It's it's It has an intelligence. It's not just a thing. It's got some level of spirit to it. I think in Kabbalah, right? even the al actually animates the being when it's added. I could be making that up, though. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. like the al kabar or whatever it is thing in Egyptian where you have the different layers of soul. This is like oh, an I animation. Yeah. yeah. I think just writing the name, because the Kabbalah is all about writing, I mean, we're just writing, adding the letters to the name by God, not by people, is what created them. Because the concept oh, is that God created the universe with the Hebrew alphabet. So. Oh, yeah, right. Anyways, I love the Sumerian conception of the afterlife. It's the most hilarious afterlife ever other than the Mormons, which is actually just ridiculous. But in the Sumerians conception of the afterlife is basically just, it's just this like endless foggy gray void. And it just, it's just kind of there. And it's just like, you're walking through fog forever and there's beer, but it sucks. (laughs) 
So basically, when the Sumerians talked about the afterlife, what we've gathered is they base instead of saying heaven or hell, they basically refer to it as the place where the beer sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Scary stuff. So, the, so the, they weren't selling it in in the afterlife. Yeah, they weren't selling it. This is oh, uh, that, that, that was unclear as to whether you had to buy the shitty beer or not. No, but I'm just like no. I mean, it's like like you sell heaven as being paradise when you want somebody to kill themselves <laughs> because well, suicides all go to hell the suicide forest and in, in dante's inferno you turn well, into a no, wailing tree unless you're like unless you're using that you're you know that death as part of as being a martyr oh well yeah well if you're doing it as yeah you get 72 virgins in paradise and all that like yeah and even christians if you live a good christian life you get to go to heaven with this angelly whatever, I don't know, you know, this fanciful, like, nice place where all the good Christians go and everyone is enjoying having jello mold dinners and whatever. I would really like to go back. I don't actually mean this, but I would like to go back to pre-Protestant times. Like, like just imagine that, like, Martin Luther had not done any reforms. That would be great. Like, now, if you want to go to heaven, you literally just, like, the, the church can just, like, garnish your paycheck or something like that. And then they guarantee you get into heaven. It's like, or they should just put a price tag. It's like, entry to heaven, $45,000. You don't have to pay it all at once. You can pay it over your lifetime or you can leave your estate to us. It's like, great. That's how it used to be. That's how it used to be. It's like, you send, okay, give me 10 bucks. It's like, 10 bucks. <laughs> 10 bucks. It's, like, it's like, literally, like, indulgences are, like, the equivalent of the swear jar. It's like, yeah. oh, you murdered somebody? That's going to be 15 bucks. Hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's definitely worse than... <laughs> I, just, I also just love the idea of, like, the first civilization in history being comprised of beer snobs. <laughs> it's like, this is not a microbrew. But I just like, why would you make a heaven that's so mediocre? Well, it wasn't supposed to like, be I heaven. Don't, I don't think anyone... Like, how does that manipulate? I just don't understand. It's like... What is the, like, to me, it's like the only purpose of having the concept of an afterlife is, of any specificity, is to manipulate people with this image. But they had, everyone was, they were all slaves, so they didn't, they didn't have to manipulate them. And it was basically I know, like, but it's like, they didn't, they, but they could have, why would they feed them such a, like, it's like, yeah. oh yeah, you're going to have a miserable life as a slave, and then when you die... Then you go to a really boring place where the beer is not even this no, th th this is really funny. This is like control alpha release. It's like, we haven't yeah. even got to beta yet. It's like, how do we get them to do what we want? Tell them the gods hate them and that they get shitty beer in the afterlife. <laughs> let's see how this goes. <laughs> okay, alpha. Like, let's, let's, uh, let's go back to the drawing board. This is not working. This. Okay, so it's like, maybe if we tell them that God will punish them if they don't do what we want. Okay, kind of works. What if we use positive reinforcement instead of negative reinforcement? If you well, do what we wait, say, wait, you go to heaven. Not, let's not get rid of the. Let's not get rid of the negative reinforcement. Okay. <laughs> yes, let's keep all our tools. Keep okay, all our tools. That seemed to work pretty well. Have you read Western Lands, the Burroughs book? I, I read it back in the day when it came out, but oh, nice. I I I didn't connect with it as much as Place of Dead Roads. I love all the, my favorite Burroughs books are the last three: Place of Dead Roads and. City of, Cities of the, Cities Red, Night of the Red Night and the Western Lands. However, one of the reasons I like them is that the most legible. Dennis Cooper basically said that Bert, all those were ghost written. Now, I don't know if Dennis Cooper might have just been being catty because he wrote a lot of anti-Burroughs essays. 
but or at least he wrote one significant one after he died. So I don't know if that's true or not, but it's kind of a totally different writing style than his cut-up books. So clearly he had like, I don't know, James Grauerholz or whoever, like he had a good editor at the very least. But for me, those three, the Burroughs ones to read are those three and then The Job and The Third Mind, because those are the ones with the most interesting ideas in them. But the reason I bring a Western Lands is he analyzes, he got super into Egypt because he read Norman Mailer's book, Ancient Evenings, which is about Egypt. And then he got obsessed with Egypt as a, like a proto-control system with promises of afterlife. And <clears throat> he talked about like all oh, these- Oh yeah, Reg you wrote that book that was sort of like- that touched on that. Which one? What the, I can't remember what it was called. It was like, oh, this, this long thing. That, I still have not been able to publish that. God damn it. Hopefully I will. You see. know, it's all about it's that secret. guy. I can't remember, but he lives in yeah. basically like, yeah, he lives in Egypt, basically. Yeah, this is a secret book that the public does not know oh. about. But uh, it will come out at some point for sure. Yeah, I think you're the one of like three people to ever read that. And I worked on it for years, like seven years or something. Um, yeah, yeah, because it was sort of like it was sort of like the Egyptian thing only taken as sort of like an allegory for like, you know, philosophical self-development and uh, spiritual enlightenment sort of motif thing. Yeah, I got to get that book out. Well, now you've said it on the air. So now people know there's another book. So if you're by the way, if you <laughs> let me see how much I can how many I can get out of this. I have publishers interested in this book currently. However, if you are a publisher and you also are interested in publishing fiction, please get in touch with me because I have a very good book. Okay. But actually right but that now... That was very intense along those same lines. It was... Yeah. It, it reminded... It well, was it, part of, like, of that was inspired by Western lands. So, yeah. Right. Uh, well, the, I mean, the whole idea of the control and this like... This edifice of social structure to maintain these orders and things, you know? Which we live in now. I mean, we live in some kind of weird, devolved. I mean, I live in Canada. I'm at the top of the freaking hill up here, you know? Yeah. I do nothing and I have decent food, even though it's expensive as fuck. But, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Huh? Um, yeah, like prices have really gone up. But I mean, still, it's like, you know, I, I know what really living is. You know, like, I mean, yeah. like living out of a bag of black beans and a bag of rice. And this is, this is how I'm, if I find plantains, then that's a nice bonus nice. sort of thing. You know, like I know that life. So it's like, I'm standing around here and it's like, I am so like, we are so removed up here. From hmm. It's just, it, it's scarily nice up here. Well, Texas, I mean, I mean, Texas is pretty removed, which is why uh, so many people moved here. It is for now. We'll see how long that lasts, but uh, it's not totally removed. I mean, Dallas and Houston are gigantic. Do you know that Texas, Texas the, the three cities in Texas are going to be the three biggest cities in the U.S. by 2100? Or rather, not three. It's going to be Austin, probably Austin, San Antonio at that point, Dallas, Fort Worth, and uh, Houston are wow. going to be the three big. They're going to be bigger than New York and L.A. Yep. Wow. It's a big state. You know, Texas is the size of Europe. It's like when people yeah. dog me for living in Texas, I'm like, well, you know, it's the size of Europe. There's a lot of stuff here. <laughs> yeah. No, the scale of people, it's funny, like Europe. It's so cute because, I mean, literally, it's like you go from one neighborhood to another. It's like, you know, the same distance from New York to Boston or something. Yeah. Yeah. You're in a different country. Yeah. That, I really I really envy that, actually, because I know a lot of people in Europe or England can just get on like a Ryanair, like equivalent of Spirit Airlines and just fly all over the whole, all of Europe. And they can just like hop over to like Luxembourg or like Benidorm, oh my Spain God, my for the weekend. Is like, yeah, I know constantly my sister is like... Oh yeah, we were in the Swiss Alps hiking this weekend. As, as you do, yeah. 
but it's so easy there because I mean the distance is like just like it's a whole level of scale it's like just it's literally like a large level of magnitude so like every scale is like 10 times bigger here in North America I mean like look at you from one end of the country to the other is 3,000 miles what country is even 300 miles yeah in you yeah, that's not like one of the things that blew my mind because I didn't learn this. Or a thousand long. miles, whatever. But I mean, it's, it's like it's just huge. One of the things that consistently blows my mind every time I remember it is that the map is wrong. Like they made the sizes of the countries all different in the Mercator projection map. Oh, yeah. The Mercator projection is so goofy. It's so good. And it's like Africa is freaking gigantic. It's like bigger than every other continent, but they made it small. I mean, Freud, do, do a Freudian analysis on that. Not hard. But it's just like, You're come right. on, at least like, this is the thing. People are like, well, you got to trust the authorities. Like they didn't even give us the right map of the world. Are you kidding? They don't want you, yeah. They don't, <laughs> want, they don't want you to know that America is decent sized. Yeah. And Africa is monstrous. It's huge. It's gigantic. I wonder gigantic. how, I wonder how big it is compared to Europe and America. Like how many Americas could you, or how could you fit all of North America and Africa? You can fit all of America. You can fit the United States, all of Europe, maybe America, maybe North America and South America. That's great. And yet people are taught to basically just ignore it and pretend it's not there. Man, that's insanity. Yeah. When, if Africa, I mean, oh yeah, well, I don't know. If Africa could get it together, if, if the colonial powers hadn't all constantly been destroying that place, you know, like first taking out... And then leaving in terrible fashion. Yeah, exactly. First taking out, I mean, all the various civilizations that were there before, you know, before the Europeans arrived with their gunpowder and fancy boats. Yeah. Uh, it's just crazy. You know, it's just it was a different kind of life. People didn't have that technology. And I guess what we what we've learned is is that whoever has the most kicking technology is going to use it for weaponry and will dominate. Yeah, that's just the way of things. There's a really interesting guy that I was following a while back named Akala, I think it's A C A L A, who is a English rapper, but I think he's got a PhD from Oxford or something like that. Maybe not it's something like that. And he has a ton of good information on like the like uh, buried history of Africa. And it's just like crazy to me. It's like, so there's this continent that we're all from. There's challenges to that theory, but still that's the dominant theory. There's this continent that we're all from that goes back to the dawn of history with tons of civilizations in it. And it's just like, oh yeah, that doesn't matter. And by the way, it never impacted European history. We didn't get anything from Africa. Like they didn't have any ideas. And by the way, the richest person in human history, Mansa Musa, African. Oh yeah, he didn't exist. That wasn't a thing. He didn't help build the Silk Road. It's like, it's like you're, you're not teaching people what's true. And you wonder why they behave so crazy. No. And unfortunately, I mean, it's, it's, it's spurred this sort of, uh, the backlash where this, this sort of like Afro push to own Egypt. Wait, what is that? I don't know about that. Well, there's sort of like this, the, there's this battle about the, essentially it's sort of like the Nubian-ness of Egypt or the darkness of Egypt. And people are like, oh, Cleopatra was black. Oh, you mean was, like, like comedic, comedic stuff? Like, yeah, like yeah. Tradition. It's yeah. Just like, A, I mean, let me just, I mean, maybe it's just easy considering I live in Canada, but like, who fucking cares? I love that stuff. What are, you, are you kidding? That stuff is really interesting to me. 
Well, I mean, it's interesting, but I mean, it's like you don't need to get so hung up on like how dark her skin was. Was she a this or was she a that? It's just like there's lots of civilizations. As I think it's like the thing is that the entire West African civilization and culture that was there before the slave trade and before, I guess, probably in before. I don't even think they got touched by the Ottoman Empire, though. They never made it that far south because you got the stupid, you know, Saudi the Arabian Desert there or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, no. The Gobi Desert, whatever it's called. No, one in Africa, no, Sahara. Sahara Desert, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. If I was, like, if I had, if I was, I mean, there was, if I was recovering my identity after hundreds of years of slavery, subjugation, and being told as black people in America were, that I didn't have a soul and I was only three quarters human or whatever it was. And then I found out that there was actually a place I was from before that I would be real fucking hung up about it. And I would be real into no, it. No, 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 that's not the point. But I mean, it's just like Timbuktu. There was just like, there's a whole West African civilization that I think has been even more ignored. And it's just that Egypt has been held up as this place. Oh, oh I see what you're saying. African culture. So you're just saying like and Egypt and Egypt just is like, people think of Egypt as that's Africa. When it's just yeah, this exactly. tiny part of it. Okay, exactly. got it. And, got and it. Rather than having an appreciation for all kinds of cultures that existed yeah. all over I, the rest okay. of the world. Okay, I got, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. You know, and it's like those ones really got decimated. And also, I think partially because they weren't as white as Egypt is. And they don't have that Greek connection. Because the thing is that they, you know, the Greeks connect to the Egypt. So people can sort of backhandedly trace a certain level of whiteness via the Greeks to the Romans, but backwards to an Egypt. Right. If you get what I mean. It's possible you know? none of those people were white. Well, I, right. But they just, weren't this concept really, was overlaid on. But that. they weren't really black, black either. What do you mean by that? Well, no, I'm just... I'm saying it's like as a way of because the slaves were brought from West Africa for the most part to Americans, they want to make sure that there's that the West African culture, Benin, who used to have the best ironsmiths on the planet and various other places, you know, that that area gets no respect at all culturally, historically. Egypt is allowed to because Egypt is close to the bible biblical land well egypt egypt is also part of the islamic world now and, and it's That's wrapped thing, up in, I mean, it's it wrapped up this, in israel it's basically considered part of the middle east so it is yeah it is now um, which i think is maybe bad for egypt how so i don't know i just think it's like Egypt's a big place and it had its own culture and and by being too absorbed into this larger thing that you lose something hmm. you know i don't mind i re- i'm really big on like i'm really big on local culture but it doesn't have to be hermetic you know what i mean it's like yeah, hermetic love, hermetically sealed yeah it's like you don't have to be xenophobic to be a nationalist in a way what do you, you mean? know you could what do you, what do you be mean? really into your like local oh, I see. little yeah. traditions and still be welcoming of other people. You mean basically... two things yeah. aren't necessarily the same. Right. Just, people forget that. I mean, people forget Malcolm X was a black nationalist. And 
Yeah, I like it's like you don't need to be exclusionary. I don't know. I mean, I I am not this is not my thing to comment on, you know, Africa and and what I think of it other than I'm fascinated by it and I want to learn a lot more about it. Yeah, I just think I just think there's a lot of history of like the West African area because that's where I lived when I was a little kid, right? Wait, uh, wait, you you lived in in Benin? I don't even remember because I was too little, but my dad thinks it affected me subconsciously. Hmm. In what um, way? I lived there from when I was six months old until I was two and a half years old. So it's like all my subconscious memories, <laughs> all the one, all my memories that I can't access because they were too early in my life, basically, happened there. And then all my conscious stuff is in Canada. Interesting. But it always seems strange. And my brother's even feels more because he was three years older. So for him, like he, he feels, he feels odd as like this very white guy who to him, fufu with spicy peanut soup is home cooking. Okay. Like, and he looks and it's like, he never, he, like he hasn't lived there really since, but still to him, because his earliest meals is, you know, whatever is like three and a half, four and a half to five. Yeah was this food. So that's like, that's his earliest food he ever ate was African food. Interesting. Because we used to just eat whatever. My parents were like that. African food is like super finger food, right? It's like Ethiopian Very food. Very finger food, it, yeah. But was West Afri- how, how different is West African food from Ethiopian? Like, do you do like the sponge, sponge thing that you pick stuff up with? In the area that we lived in Ghana, it's more they do a, like a loaf. It's like a loaf of fufu, which is... Usually, they would make it out of potato, but traditionally, I think it's cassava or plantain, hmm. like green plantains pounded until you have like this lump of just sort of like weird rubbery doughy stuff. And then you like pluck off a little piece and then do the dip and eat thing. African food's like a lot of yams, beans, and peanuts, stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of peanuts. Yeah. Peanuts, palm oil, poof. a lot of fish too, because... Because there's a good coastline of Ghana. Amazing surfing, apparently. Oh. Damn. Ghana's supposed to have wicked surfing. I would love to go there, except I have a friend who went there during college and came back with malaria. And I'm like, ooh. To, to Ghana? Yeah, England? to Ghana. Yeah, for a year. Weird. Yeah. I think oh. she she was out she was out in like the, the, the rural areas, I think. So. Yeah, but I mean, wasn't she taking her pills? The, the malaria pills only prevent symptoms. They don't prevent you from getting it. And they're also awful. They give you insane nightmares. The, the only point of malaria pills is to give you enough time to get to the hospital. You can't, there's no cure for malaria as far as I know. I could be, if I'm wrong, somebody can hopefully let me know. Yeah, but. didn't Bill Gates, isn't Bill Gates, I thought that was Bill Gates' thing. Well, is that, that's why it's such a problem. I mean, that's why he's doing insane things like putting out robot mosquitoes to kill oh, the yeah, other that's ones. what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they're sterilizing the mosquitoes and putting them out of bread. Yeah. Which well, seems no, like, wow, a little dangerous for an ecosystem, yeah. let me say. What was it? He was like, this was like right during, I think it was during COVID or right before he was driving. He had people with vans driving through the South, releasing genetically modified mosquitoes to kill the other ones. I'm like, wow, that sounds like a great idea. You know what else sounds like a great idea? Blocking out the sun with microfilm, which is another one of Bill Gates' genius ideas to prevent global warming. So to put the world into eternal darkness, like Mr. Burns blocking out the sun. Great plan, Mr. Bill. Thank you. He's trying. He's trying. He is trying. <laughs> you got to give him that. 
Uh, he's probably having a lot of successes in various areas too. And I, I think that, man, uh, if they can wipe out malaria, that would be good. Yeah. 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 No, we'll see. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, malaria is still like basically one of those virulent and dangerous diseases out there, right? Yeah. It's interesting. It's like if you look at like things that will kill you, like mosquitoes are like this. Mosquitoes have killed more than anything else on earth. And it's like mosquitoes. And then like way down here, it's the AK-47. And then way down, it's like everything else. Like the AK-47 has killed ungodly amounts of people. And then hippos. Yeah. (laughs) They're actually above AK-47s. Yeah. Hippos are pretty dangerous. (laughs) Well, we covered a lot of territory in this podcast. Uh, Did we drop any threads or I think we uh, went all over the known universe from the subatomic to the hippos? Yeah, yeah, this is a, this, this was nice. This, this is felt a like a slightly more lighthearted chit chat. The, the world needs lighthearted these days. I think. It's, uh, I think we do. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's so much, but mostly I've just been focused on the UFO thing because I'm just like my mind is just blown that it's like it's so far out there and it's it's tantalizingly close somehow. Now it's like what the. Do you think like, that we will see proof of extraterrestrial life in our lifetimes? I don't. Maybe, I mean, maybe we already did. Maybe. Well, did you did you did you see that like weird cocaine dusted mummy that like they were looking at at the White House? Yes. No. So what the what hell you... is this? Like, no, talk about not inspiring. Let's talk about not inspiring confidence in the government. It's like literally we're on the brink of World War Three, and you guys are sitting around looking at this cocaine dusted mummy like you're in the movie Idiocracy. It's like, come, come on, please. Well, I, were those ever debunked, actually? Was it ever bunked? No, no. <laughs> Was it ever bunked in the first place? Wait, I mean, wait, it's wait, so wait. silly. So, so a, a, there were three very distinct mummies. Okay. There's one mummy that was a woman who had been mutilated and modified into a thing. There was wait, it was a hu- it was a human body that had been modified. Yeah, like like a it's young so, child so whose fingers had been taken off, whether it was during what? life or not, or whether she was oh a three finger kid. I can't remember. Anyways, that was from one place. There was another mummy from another place that looked like it was pieced together bones of this and that. But I thought there were legit ones, three little the little ones that they actually did analysis and. The closest taxonomy I thought was turtle. The genetic taxonomy, the closest thing was a turtle on it. And yeah, I thought that I thought one of the analyses was like, no, actually, this looks like it's an actual thing. Who knows what the hell this is? But whatever well, it is, it's a thing. If the cocaine dusted mummies turn out to be real aliens, I will eat my words. I'll be impressed. Yeah. It doesn't, I don't it doesn't seem likely to me right now. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> no. The the one thing I'm very convinced is that. All the most evil, darkest abduction, et cetera, stuff, almost certainly done by the U.S. government. That's my, all we yeah, know. yeah. No, my my my. Because I mean, who's got the experience? Who's got the motivation? Um, you know. Yeah, it's like if if I was ever like my my basic feeling about aliens is a all of the quote unquote UFOs are probably secret military spy planes and or spy planes from other countries. Or just you know un un you know classified craft, and I've seen classified craft flying around in Twenty Nine Palms and places like that, Joshua Tree, and then all of people's 
like I think a lot of what people think are alien abduction experiences are pretty pretty clearly sleep paralysis. And then a lot of other ones, you know, then you have, you, first of all, you have to rule out any extraneous extenuating factors like mental illness or drug use. There's a lot that don't have that though. There's a lot of very plausible ones. So, you know, my feeling about aliens is that they exist, but they're not from space. They're, they exist sideways to here as in kind of what you were saying with the phase thing, which was really interesting to me because I think absolutely, if you do Crowleyan Euthalemic magic or Typhonian or something like, yeah, like you can definitely have experiences that appear to be talking to aliens in altered states of consciousness, whether they're valid or not. Well, you know, that's no one's ever going to think they're valid. Is it valid for you? That's up to you. But you absolutely can talk, have the experience of talking to aliens on drugs and magic. The only question is, is it from your brain or is your brain picking up something on another frequency? Yeah, but you think so really, I don't know. Really what? So you think so you think that all of the physical object UFOs are human crafted devices? That is my current reading of it. That's my current that's the answer that I feel about aliens does not violate rationality. Now that said, okay. if more information yeah, comes yeah. out, I'll no, revise my model anytime. That's why yeah. I, I could be wrong. That's why I stuck with the no. They can't be aliens because everything is too far. That makes no sense. I'm. I was more inclined to believe that they were a species from like underwater, who then started to come up on the Earth to explore and found out that the Earth is plagued by these weird monkeys. <laughs> and that's also you know, a possibility. In the 80s, people, there was a whole theory that dinosaurs evolved into saurian, sauropod, whatever, saurian humans that live in the middle of the earth. So that was an actual theory. It wasn't a crazy theory. It was, it was proposed. And there were pictures mocked up of dinosaur aliens that scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. So See, like anything like that seemed more plausible to me, too, than like coming from any place else. Because distances are far and... That's uh, that's a really big thing. It's almost easier to step sideways in space, time, yeah, than to travel, you know, two hundred billion light years. Yeah. Well, my feeling about aliens is that people have been, like you were saying, people have been interacting with beings like this or reporting abduction experiences for all of human history. They just called them different things: fairies, changelings. I mean, the whole alien abduction story is the exact same as the fairy abduction story from earlier fairies took you to fairyland you but then they put you put you back with something different about you which in the fairy so stories sometimes there would be a time thing too and then there was a time thing right like rip rip van winkle but it's like you know you would come back but you would have a magic stone in you that's the same as the aliens you come back with an implant you know so i think that these are cultural glosses on a much deeper human experience which is probably non-physical and in the realm of conscious and unconscious like i don't i think aliens don't, don't aren't necessarily physical but i think they exist in the realm of consciousness now whether they're from extraterrestrial or they're terrestrial or they're just something projected by the human mind you know that's another question but i, I think that that's generally my feeling you about with it the stone if they create physical effects well then have you ever seen anything non-physical create a physical effect that's an actual question it's not a leading question yeah yeah well is light physical? Yeah. There's light particles. Then, photons. Yeah. Con consciousness is physical. You just can't touch it with your hands. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's a big debate about the conscious physicality of consciousness. I, I just mean I just I mean I just mean in the sense of your neurons are physically firing in your physical brain to create phys a physical illusion of consciousness. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we're pretty sure it's like, you know, if we stopped all the brain activity that the consciousness will not be happening anymore. That, that's all I'm saying. It's a, it's a biophysical phenomenon. So yeah, up, up to a certain point beyond which is Deepak Chopra. See, that's land. the thing. It's like, wait, how can something physical create a non-physical? But therefore, if you're coming back from the aliens with an implant, that implant is physical. Did I ever show you my implant? Therefore, the aliens are physical. Right here. On top of my ear. Oh, really? Yep. It's right here. When did you get that? I've always, I've had it since I was a kid. I don't know. Oh, really? I didn't notice it till later. Next time I see you, I'll show you. Crazy. Yep. Have you had an x-ray or anything? No, but it's the exact same size and shape and density as alien implants that are reported in all the literature in the same location. Sort of like grain of sandish thing and, I mean, grain of rice. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Like a little metal grain of rice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it could just be cartilage, you know. I don't know. Yeah. It's not in the other ear. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. There there are some like you know, I'm not I'm not inclined to go for this like simulation theory. I think it's just the the laziest shit in the world. We were just talking about that the multiverse theory. It's just like come on. Oh my god. Leave it leave it leave it in the Marvel movies, please. Like, yeah, it's like didn't we do that in high school? Wasn't that first year like philosophy or something like that? Like, yeah. can we just like, let's, we have to, we have to, we have to start demanding a little bit more from our realities to consider them reality. Yeah. One, one thing I realized that is really important for the people to understand is that pe- people, and I, when I say people, I mean, even journalists don't understand the difference between a scientific theory and a hypothesis. Like the many worlds interpretation of quantum physics is just a hypothesis. They're like, why did this happen? Uh, it's Maybe not a, not, it's not a theory by a long shot. Because a theory, shot a, a theory is can, a tested hypothesis. You can't test it, so it's like it's like a theory. A theory, a theory basically means it's been accepted. Hypothesis yeah. is like, and all that the multiverse thing was is they did the double slit experiment in quantum physics, and then they were like, what the fuck? Why did this happen? And then they came up with about 30 different scenarios for why it could have happened, including really crazy ones like the multiverse, because why not consider everything? And then that got reported in the media and people ran with it as if it's actually real. It's just a hypothesis. It's a thought experiment. No, Same with this, like everything's a virtual reality that Elon is doing or whatever. Exactly. Whereas there are also simultaneously painfully prosaic classical explanations yeah nobody wants those nobody wants the prosaic stuff nobody wants the prosaic stuff i know they want cocaine mummy aliens i know so now so all about it it's just like you know i think i like the prosaic the prosaic is very reliable i agree you know like physical things happening man causality it's it's so awesome. reliable it's pretty awesome <laughs> it's pretty awesome it's like it's so reliable i throw this knife and if i throw it the same way it always lands at the same spot and sticks you know it's like this is really it interesting. doesn't doesn't turn into a potato halfway through the throw it doesn't yet yet so yet. far yeah I, I i i i was thinking i have a fairly simplified thought a couple of days ago where i realized the difference between rational and magical thinking in a historical sense. It's like modern thinking is cause and effect, scientific method based. What cause do I do to do X effect? Magical thinking, and by magical thinking, I mean Renaissance, classic magic, Cornelius Agrippa that became the golden dawn and Kampala and all that is, is, is thinking by analogy, right? It's like a heart is like 
or rather like a sunflower is like the sun is like the color yellow is like gold is like the number six. It's like finding, right. like finding correspondences in nature, which is where we get all those tables from. It's like no, basically what you want is and that they can affect each things. other and that they can affect each other. It's like, Oh, like a rose is like, it's like a love poem. So like in a sense, they're like connected and can affect each other. You know, it's like magical thinking. Yes. But the, but both are very important. I think because the, the scientific, Gives you the, like the cause and effect gives the complete chain of the things. But the analogy is how you can draw analogies is more like the machine learning, finding patterns thing. Yes. That's very interesting. You that's know, interesting. It's, it's yeah. much more yes. like, yes. And when I, and I think of like, when I was talking to a friend of mine about, it's also much more theory. like, it's also much more like the neurodivergent brain. Well, it's, 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 it's allowing us to think it's like how am i going to think this oh i'm going to model this in a you know like using fluids or something i'm going to describe it like this and poetry is in a way i think metaphor and jonathan garrard who i guess he's a mathematician he works with stephen wolfram alf at wolfram alpha and stuff he's like genius guy anyways doing all this connection stuff but i think they came up with this too it's like in a weird way metaphor is the most accurate in a strange way the most accurate way of describing things yeah because because you're making an analogy and the yeah. analogies are like flows that are of a similar nature so therefore you can have one thing is like another thing like every flower is like every flower in a bunch of ways you know like there's a bunch of things like this, like cells and identity. It's like, what do you have? You have a skin and then you have a bunch of a skin that's separated from the rest of the world. Something hits this skin. This skin mediates that input, causes something to happen inside that's sort of black boxy inside the cell. Then the cell reacts, which we still don't even know really what's going on. Hmm. And then the cell then gives its action, which is what we perceive as its response to this. The consciousness happens inside the cell. With us, we have our epithelium, which is like a double layer, similar skin. We have our nerve inputs come into our being. We process it. And then we have our agency in later. Like There's a lot of things like this that are analogous is the only way to really approach to get a gestalt yeah to, no you're to correct you're correct the processes correct. that are similar well, but then you and, need causality for the details of the mechanisms of that right and because otherwise you, you, you're just relying on the gods to have right. somehow well you you, you, you need causality in order to replicate the cause to get the effect and so but That's but it. But as you were saying that, I was thinking like, yeah, no, I mean, as demonstrated by the fact that people will learn and retain information way better if they hear it in a story or a movie or a comic, as opposed to like a dry text on something. Um, yeah. So again, to the pedagogy thing. Okay. Well, like this, this notion of like teaching people better in a way of like verses or whatever it is, so that they will retain these things. So they can get these ideas, not in a dry book where it's just like this thing that's just, 
you know, people want to see something demonstrated. Yeah. You know, like I want to teach kids Pythagorean theorem. I go outside and I say, hey, let's figure out how we can tell how tall any given tree is, how tall any given building is. Oh, and then you, actually, like, you yeah. actually go do it? Yeah. And then That's you take great. a, you go outside with a little protractor and a little string and pull out a sextant thing, calculate a couple of angles, Sokotoa, boom. Kids are like, what? Yeah. That's great. That's great. I, yeah. I wish things were taught. Like it, like the number one thing that kids say in school is when are we ever going to like, w- what's the point? When are we going to use why? this? Why? <laughs> well, show them why? why. Show them why. It's a yeah, valid exactly. question. Don't ignore it. It's a valid question. If you show them why, then they'll remember and use it. Otherwise, it's in and out. It's like, I don't like, so this brings us back to the school system thing where it's just like, we, we just know more now. And we live in a different world that has the internet and AI. We live in a world where kids can get on Wikipedia and immediately know more than their teacher about anything. Yeah. And we're going to use the same school model. Also, like, you know, I think about this a lot. The enti- the amount of, I don't know how it is in Canada, but in the U.S., if you go through the public school system, meaning publicly funded in the U.S., than the one that almost everyone goes through. They you don't really don't get a whole lot of information. They stretch out math over several years. They stretch out reading a few books over several years. You don't really walk out of school with a whole lot. In the US, they don't even teach you how to do taxes. So or balance a checkbook usually or anything like that. Yeah. No life skills. So it's just like, well, and you don't think there's an issue with that? I mean, we live in a faster society now. I don't know. I you know, I mean, my belief is that most most kids could probably be at first year university level by grade 10 or 11 easy if they were just like fed the information at a decent actual pace that challenged them. And that way you can do, I mean, there needs to be a lot more streaming. There needs to be a lot more physical modeling of concepts, you know, all these things. I think it's just like the approach we've taken has gotten so much so distant from physicality. And I really think we need a big move yeah. back towards that because there's an understanding that I think you get when you see physical processes go on that is just, yeah. there's a, the, the density of information is very high. When you're reading a word, the information in that word is basically confined exactly to the codification of that. When you watch some chemicals mix together and then combine and change color and the crystals fall out or whatever, there is like what you're watching is bazillions of bits of information acting out their reality in front of you. And how well you pay attention is how much information you can get out of that sort of thing. You know, like it's not parsed out in these yeah. tiny little fragments yeah it's sort of like it's an experience yep and we're going to help guide what you can absorb from this experience yeah and i feel like then when you're actually in it then you just absorb by osmosis i mean the most basic example that i can think of would be like trying to learn french out of textbooks for five years as i did very with very little success rather than just going and living in france for a month right yeah you know, yeah like context is everything oh yeah i lived in costa rica for five months and basically like i'm now reasonably fluent in spanish because it's like 
That's I was nice. living in the middle of freaking no place. No That's place great. That's great. I didn't have a choice. I spent all day with my little dictionary, you know. That's great. And at night making verb conjugations yeah. to get some practice in. The best and way I'm to sure I butcher, butcher it all to hell, but at least it's something. The best way to learn anything is having to. And that's not somebody forcing you. It's like realizing like, I got to learn this or else like I'm not going to get a job or whatever. Um, yeah. Or, or I'm not going to be able to talk to anyone in the middle of Costa Rica. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I loved teaching the like, wilderness survival stuff, like the nature bushcraft. Cause it is, it's just completely hundred percent prosaic. It's just, mm. this is a real thing. That's what people and need. This is actually like a real situation that you might write into. And what are we going to do? with real objects that you might find because we're not bringing a bunch of goofy, like, you know, like a roll of knives. That's all you've got. That's all we get. Maybe a striker to start a fire. If we can't build it with a knife, then we suck <laughs> and we're going to be really cold, aren't we? So let's get, let's that's, figure I love this that. out. I love that. Yeah. I'm sure there's like, I'm sure pretty much every teacher who, who really is, is invested in their job. There's a lot and I mean, I feel like you'd have to actually have intrinsic, at this point, you'd have to have intrinsic motivation to be a teacher because you know yes. you're signing on for what you're signing on for. But I think that I'm sure there's ton, like teachers want, want to do so much and probably know what their kids need. They just can't get the funding or the, the administration won't approve it or whatever. Now they're yeah, teaching they, a standardized the, test. The entire nature of the structure is so inflexible yeah. that it doesn't allow for that. You know, I mean, why it's it's funny. It's like why all through the 80s, especially. But it's like it was always it's like the weird misfit who's just going to break the rules. And it's like, no, because this is the way it needs to be done to get done. You know, like and that seems to have like that that had its time. It seems to like somehow faded in that cultural yeah. Gestalt. Well, things have improved. I mean, like a couple of days ago, I was reading about Percy Shelley and Percy Shelley had a very similar experience to Jen in, in public school in England, which is privately funded, like the good old boys schools, where right. I guess there's that institution or there was an institution that's like that movie If in yeah. British schools where like the older boys are allowed to basically like use the younger ones as slaves, including sexual slaves if they want. And that's considered to be their like reward for having had to do it when they were freshmen. Yeah. And Percy Shelley was, you know, forced to do this and, you know, polish people's boots and things like this. And then basically just rebelled against it and got into a shit ton of trouble. Jen also did the same thing. And I think Jen, when Jen became a senior or whatever the word for that is, refused to take it out on the freshmen or, or abuse the freshmen, which no one had done before. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing. That That's something that the boomers, like I was posting on Twitter, people are all anti-boomer now. It's like, that's that's something the boomers did. They they ended a lot of that stuff. Corporal punishment, segregation. You know, it's like people really, like, you read about some of like the child raising practices when Reich was writing, like what he was reacting to, or like how the- When, I went, to, you know. when I went to school, when I was at boarding school in England in the 70s, still, I mean- I got, you'd get the shoe was the first, for your first offense, you'd get, you'd get your ass spanked with the shoe. You might just get, I mean, on a, just the, you know, if the teacher's just walking around the room and you're goofing at your desk, expect to get your knuckles wrapped with this ruler. I mean, what do you think? <laughs> you know, like that was just expected. On the other hand, 
we literally were firing, like, firing broken paper clips in our teacher's heads. So. Yeah, no, I, I did so much stuff in high school. I probably would have been put in Guantanamo for now. Like we, we would make bombs like, well, and stuff. It was bad. <laughs> the kind of behavior that was yeah. acceptable back in the seventies is just literally insane. And should not be allowed. At my high school, the senior year, the I think the freshman water polo team or something like that put one of the teachers' VW bugs on the roof of the school in the middle of the night somehow. And so everyone came in and the car was on the top of the roof. Like, can you imagine now? It's just like... <laughs> I know. Animal House wasn't that fictional. Oh, no. At, not at all. At a time, it wasn't that fictional. Yeah. Well, well we have done a two-hour and 45-minute podcast. I got to edit this and go eat some great, food. Good, good luck with that. Yes. This was a great, this was a great podcast. Thank you for This is your third time on. This is great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. It's good to see you. You too. Anything you want to tell the audience on your YouTube channel or other stuff to places to find you online? Uh, yeah. Let's see this YouTube channel. I'm on Twitter. I think Kali Fisher or Kali Fisher everywhere. Cause I can't be bothered. But you, but you handles on your Twitter it's spelled K-A-L-I, right? You spell it a couple different ways. Yeah, I think usually on most sites, it's the K-A-L-I-F-I-S-S-U-R-E. Okay. Spelling. And Tumblr as well. I still tumble. How, I love how Tumblr. Is, how is Tumblr? I, I think Tumblr is still like an unsung, really great platform really? in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially for like, I mean, it's very meme-ish, but it's sort of like, it reminds me of, it's like Twitter, if Twitter was less dialogue-y and more content-y. Yeah. You know, like a lot more images and gifts stuff, but, and with some dialogue, but more short form things like that, but not such, di- not such conversational. It's more like just getting your feed of cool pictures and news. And like, I have like, fuck yeah, fluid dynamics, a couple of physics <laughs> ones and some art ones. Yeah, that's actually a, nice. that's actually a, that's like a channel name. Fuck yeah, absolute dynamics. Nice. All right. Well, nature's calling, so I'm going to hop off the call. It was wonderful to see okay. you. And I love, love you, you a lot. Okay. Say hi to anyone you see. Come visit. I, I don't even, even people I don't know. Say hi. Okay. Hi. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation. Meet us at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true self. I will see you in class. And until next time, hang in there.